We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When it's too tough for them, it's just right for us. Where would you rather be than right here, right now? The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. The Bills make me wanna Thirteen years ago, I walked in this locker room, and my greatest fear was not being successful. It was letting the men in the room down. Letting my teammates down was the 52 sets eyes looking back at me. 13 years later on the doorstep of the last one, that's still my greatest fear, man. With 60 minutes left to go, it's my greatest fear. It's the pit in my stomach that has driven me for so long was to give it all to you. We talked about it last night, man. What makes the Buffalo Bills different? Win, loss, records, anything like that, what's going to catapult us forward? Each other. About each other. About what you're willing to do for that man. All right? Stop that, man. Stop it. Be willing to give that man everything he's got, all the time. Always driven me. My greatest fear has always been letting anybody let down. Looking back at me. Boys and Blue are here to play, man. Let's go have fun. Let's go have some fun. Let's play 60 more minutes, close out 2018 on a high note, and let's enjoy being together in this time, man. We're not going to get it back. We are not going to get it back. Let's love each other. Let's hug each other and let's enjoy the moment. Let's enjoy the day, man. Let's go. Bills on three. One, two, three, Bills. All right, I've talked enough. Let's just break it down. All right? Sorry I kept you waiting, man. Go out the way I came in, man. It was all about team. It was all about the guys around me. Get in there. All right? Hey, can you say team on three and then say one, two, three? All right. Team on three. One, two, three. Team! There we go. Everybody do another edition of the Rockpile Report Podcast. I am your host, Bill Season Ticket Holder Drew Gear. That's my producer, Chris Krueger. And that was Kyle Williams. Pre-game and post-game speeches from BuffaloBills.com. It's over, folks. 2018. Put a bow on it. Oh my god, it, it was Chris, I finally, imagine painfully the, over. It, it's finally over. We can all take a deep breath and decompress. As we try to walk through this and head into 2019 with a clean slate. Here to, here to just in studio with us for the first time ever tonight, Ryan Lasel, host of the Huddle TV show. Ryan, how are you doing? Doing well. Appreciate you guys having me. Finally here in studio. The, uh, 
the infamous studio, which is... Slash kitchen. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's a kitchen, but it makes for a good yeah. studio. Ah, especially with all the... Because you know, he's a single guy with all the empty... Tw- literally, folks, a wall of empty 12-pack boxes behind him. No woman on earth would accept that. That's why it's next to the fridge. You don't really notice it until you literally come over to get something out of the fridge, like a bottle of water after a fun night of, well, you know. And you're like, oh, my God. This is a problem. I gotta get out of here. <laughs> so it's a it's a scare tactic. Though. It is. It's, it is strategically placed. Oh, folks! It's 2019. It's uh, it's a new year, and as every new year goes, you know, obviously the new year holiday itself is something of a disaster. So hopefully everybody out there who's listening to this right now, hopefully you made it out in one piece. Chris, our resident Uber driver. Oh yeah, somebody left uh, vape juice in my car. Did what? That's what that was. <laughs> That's yeah. Candy King Batch, I don't know. Candy King Batch, something. So now, I don't know. So, Chris, you f- you forego you know, spending time with friends, family, you know, hanging out. Oh, well, I forget. You don't really have any No, because you were like, hey, you, <laughs> yeah. Because you were like, hey, you're going to, coming to Mike and Melissa's? No. I'll be driving bitches around. <laughs> so he decided to spend his New Year's Eve Ubering. Ryan, how did you spend your New Year's Eve? Uh, well, I'm a, I'm a dad. And soon to be dad of two. So I was in bed at a robust hour of about 11.15. Wife and I watched a movie. So, you know, we had a nice little, uh, nice little Saturday. No, it was, it, it was a nice New Year's. It was, uh, I've been fighting off a little bit of a sickness. And after the uh, bill season, decided to decompress. Holidays are rough. When you got kids, you'll find out one of these days. And, uh, you know, so yeah, we, we, were, we were in bed early, kind of lame. First time ever at the age of 33, but, you know, it was all right. Folks, I, I, I got to tell you, I, I, I stayed awake. I watched the ball drop. I imbibed a little bit. You know, Did you I, go I, through someone's wall? No, no falling through walls this year. I mean, I think we'll reserve that for when the Bills make the playoffs again. Again, yeah. The, the next time it happens, Chris, we'll do it at my place. All right? Yeah, you'll just jump through the, <laughs> you'll just jump through the wall like the Kool-Aid man, but Puerto Rican. <laughs> so... Here's, here's the thing, though. New Year's Eve bothers the hell out of me. I mean, it's a fun time. You're surrounded by people. You know, it's, it's, you know you're, I guess you're celebrating the end of a year. But there's some things that just really fucking annoy me about it. And I just want to get them off my chest so we can get, move on. First and foremost, I don't know how any of our listeners feel about this. The people at work who say, oh, see you next year when it's <laughs> December 3rd. Th- sh- shut the fuck up. Nobody likes you. These are probably the same people who come in when it's 85 degrees out saying, oh, it's a hot one out there. Yes, it's a fucking hot one. We see this. It's snowing out. Oh, my God. Oh, cold enough out there for you. Oh, my God. You, th- these are the people. And anybody who says that, know that you are taking years off the lives of people around you who know you. Friends, family members, all of them. Also, New Year's Eve television shows. Okay, I was forced to sit through the NBC broadcast with Carson Daly and some blonde chick. He's still relevant? The, apparently. Apparently, this is, this is the only time I, I'm reminded that he exists is during these TV shows. I mean, first of all, they keep cutting away from stupid Carson Daly to the, some indoor concert going on full of like 20-somethings who just are listening to the worst music ever that's not even being played live. It's being piped in and probably lip-synced terribly. And then at the same time, everybody just looks like they're having such a good time. It's the worst music you've ever heard 
But you mean to tell me that there's not one guy in that whole fucking room that's just on his phone like, God, this sucks. <laughs> this fucking blows. Show me that guy, and I'll start to believe that this whole thing isn't just some giant commercial. Which leads me to my next point. Gym commercials during New Year's Eve broadcasts. Planet Fitness sponsored the entire NBC broadcast. Planet Fitness. What? I don't understand. Are you, you're, you're forcing, I hate the gym. I hate the gym for the next three and a half months because every, we call you people resolutioners. The ones who can't stick to working out, but for the first two months, you're going to really give it the old college try and just get the fuck in my way and slow everybody down and drive me insane. That really lasts two months. Two and a half months. Well, the reason that they capitalize on those people is because they're the same ones that pay for the gym membership and then they're too lazy to cancel. So even after they stop going... Planet Fitness is going to get another six months out of them before they eventually say, you know, I got to stop this coming out and either cancel my card or go in and. and so then it becomes a fat tax. Yeah, I know exactly. a guy like that. I was at his house and he was watching a gym ad on TV and it was like late December a few years ago and he goes, you know, this is the year. This is the year I'm going to get in shape. I'm going to start going to the gym consistently. You know, I'm going to go down there and get a membership. And his wife looked at him and goes, "Asshole, you've had a membership to World Gym for three years. You pay nine ninety nine a month." Completely forgot about it. It was literally a $10 donation to the gym that he forgot. Yeah. And then I think the, the the bane of my entire existence this time of year. First, resolutions are bullshit. Can we all, I don't, I don't, let me table that for discussion here. Resolution, the new year, new me people, you're, you're all jerks. You need a special occasion to realize, hey, there's this aspect about me that I don't like. I should probably change that. Yeah, it reminds me of that uh, the episode of The Office where they do the New Year's resolutions. And, uh, Andy Bernard writes on there, learn to cook for one. And Dwight goes, that's not a resolution. Because that's, that's just something I want to do. And he writes, uh, meet a loose woman and puts it up there. That's his resolution. Yeah, I mean, that, I, I agree. I, I mean, New Year's resolutions, you shouldn't, uh, if, you, if you do one, it's, it's because you feel like you have to. Chris, I bet you have one. I don't have one. But we can talk about that stuff off air. I'll feel, I can fill you in. <laughs> oh, God. All right. And also, I've unfriended 15, no, no, I think maybe even a few more, 15 people on Facebook today, just out of rage. Open letters. Open letters on social media to the internet talking about what a trying year you just had. Oh, yeah. And about how you learned a lot about yourself and you did this. I, I can see, don't get me wrong, I'm not trying to say that people don't go through shit, Okay. What I look at, though, are the people who the shit they went through was trivial at best, and you're just self-aggrandizing because you want other people to give you social media pants on the back. God! I, my blood pressure's through the roof already, guys. We gotta... <laughs> it's, I mean, it's, it's the epitome of look-at-me posts, right? Thank you! Yeah, because it, it, the people that do that are the same people that use social media all throughout the year. I already know what you went through because I'm on social media. I, don't, I have a Facebook simply for the fact that I can read what's going on with other people. I very, very rarely post on it. But the people that did the, you know, 2018 shout out to that, and hopefully 2019's better. Like, I already know what your 2018 was because you post every day on Facebook. <laughs> Folks, if you are one of these people, I apologize, kind of, but not even wholeheartedly. Not a little. Not, not even. even a little Sorry, bit. not sorry. <laughs> but don't worry. I'll work on it this year. I'll work on becoming a better person because, you know, new year, new me. <laughs> no, I won't. I'll continue to be the same belligerent fuck that I am now, and you're all just going to have to deal with it. And with that, we're going to launch right into this week's Bill's News Update. <laughs> Bill's News Update. 
The coaching staff shuffle has begun over at One Bills Drive, folks. To announce today, within the last 24 hours, we've seen the release of offensive line coach Juan Castillo, wide receivers coach Terry Rubisky, and the often maligned special teams coordinator Danny Crossman. You know, the Danny Crossman that gave the Bills regime such gems as this season's abysmal performance in a nutshell. Uh, I don't know. Just ridiculously botched plays on special teams. And that kickoff by the Jets a few years ago that somehow turned into a touchdown. Easy to say after the fact that Carr either shouldn't have been in there or should have just been handing the ball off. That's hindsight. Unfortunately for the Raiders, it'll be Matt McGloin as their quarterback. That one bounces more than the Bills goes to get it. Now Gillisley tracks it down in the end zone. That's a touchdown. What are the Bills doing? I have no idea who that is, but I'm from CBS. Folks, this man oversaw a unit and put somebody out there as a kick returner who didn't know that a kickoff was a live ball. That's the guy. Okay, literally the only redeeming things that Danny Crossman has done has been vouch for signing Stephen Hauschka and Reed Ferguson. That's it. I, I, I would... I would dare somebody else to try to point out another positive impact that man had. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, keeping in mind that none of these announcements are, quote, official according to the team yet. Sounds like they're going to wait until they figure out everybody and then they're going to make one mass announcement. We've gotten confirmation from verified sources that it's Rubisky and... Um, Crossman and Castillo. Castillo. Castillo and Rubisky, at least. I'm hearing Crossman. I've heard a couple other mm-hmm. people that I trust that, that are saying Crossman, so we'll see. Um, I think that's going to come to pass, but they're going to wait for everything, mm-hmm. and then they're going to announce it as a whole. So there's nothing from the team yet, but, I mean, Danny Crossman, it's a long time coming for him. I mean, you talk about one of the worst special teams units over the last three seasons and how he's survived officially four coaching regime, regimes, if you count um, – What's his name that went to uh, Doug Anthony Marone? Lynn. Anthony Lynn. If you count Anthony Lynn, he survived four coaches on, <laughs> in this team. And, and that just, Doug Marone, Rex Ryan, Anthony Lynn, and now Sean McDermott. And now into the third year of Sean McDermott, two seasons he survived before he finally got fired. It's just amazing to me that he's lasted this long. The guy is like, he, he is the coaching equivalent of a Twinkie. He can survive nuclear, he can survive nuclear war at this yeah, point. I mean, I, I, <laughs> I mean, I asked myself, literally, I think out of the 16 games they played, at least 14 games, I asked myself, why is he still coaching this team? I mean, just for the fact of what happened in that Raiders game, I mean, that happened when I played high school football. One of the, one of the kids on our team did that. And to this day, and we're talking, you know, eight, you know, 15 years later, we still pick on him. <laughs> we still give him shit about that. I bet you Mike Gillisley still hears about this in oh, locker rooms. Where they're like, "Hey, what, oh, you're gonna re-, when he's out when he goes out there for special teams plays, and somebody probably goes, hey, man, you're gonna remember this time? Hey, you understand what's going? On? You know where you're supposed to be, right?'" <laughs> now, folks, for those of you because I may have done a poor job of inter- introducing Mr. Ryan Lacell here, he is the host of the Huddle TV show over on Rock Sports Network out of Rochester. And if you can't tell already, he carries himself pretty professionally, and he has. He has a way of, just the fact that he's already wording this, we haven't had it verified yet, but we're <laughs> looking into it. He's much more of a professional than I am. I'll give him that. Uh, he, he hosts the show. How many years have you guys been doing this now? Uh, this is our, I guess, the end of our third season. Fourth, I had a podcast for the first year, and then after that we got hooked up with Gary at Rock Sports Network. And, you know, we've, we've been lucky to get, you know, 
press credentials and mm-hmm. um, be relatively um, official with the team. We're sponsored by Thurman 34 Rush. If Atavia Downs had the honor of, you know, interviewing Thurman Thomas and uh, Daryl Talley. And, you know, we've gotten a chance to talk to a lot of guys. And, um, you know, we kind of Gary, – Gary does a good job of, of forcing <laughs> us to carry ourselves a lot better than what we did with our podcast years. So, um, you know, he runs a pretty tight ship, and, and it's good because he's, he's done a lot of good things for us. But – you know, we've had the opportunity to work with, with you. You, oh, yeah. you know, come with press no, credentials and it. hung out with us down the sidelines. And, you know, it's a, it's a different experience. And mm-hmm. I think through my time doing the show, I've, I've developed a, a, a fond respect for a lot of what those guys, Sal Capaccio and Vic Carucci, and what those guys do day in and day out. Because it's not, it's not easy. It's really, and you know from being down in training camp, oh, yeah. it's not easy. It's it, a job. It's not easy, but at the same time, some people make it harder than Absolutely. it has to be. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you don't need to make it as hard as, as Sal Mariana makes it. Oh, God. So with your – just I guess your background, your familiarity with this coaching staff and with the – watching – being a season ticket holder yourself and knowing what we've seen this season out of the team, these releases don't surprise anybody. And at the same time, I would almost – you know, there's a part of me, and I think I made the point to you off air before we even started recording, because you know, there's some people – obviously Juan Castillo has been another guy who's caught a lot of flack from the fan base this season for the poor performance of the offensive line. Rubisky might come as a surprise to some people, but I'd wager that both he and Castillo's fates are kind of tied to the same idea. When you're a defensive-minded head coach, and this is just me speculating, but I, I mean, it's really all I have, and that's why you're all here, right? Yeah. Is to hear me speculate about this. If I had to venture, I could draw a pretty, I could draw a line in my head between you being a defensive head coach of a team, and then you have an offensive coordinator who assists you in assembling an offensive staff. And you get line coaches and you get wide receivers coaches. And you know your way around a defense, but you're going to need some help on the offensive side of the football, especially when it comes to talent evaluation. So with that in mind, at the end of a season like the one we just had, you figure our offensive line didn't start to improve until they started shuffling new faces into the line. Your Russ Bodine. Your Weiss and Groy being taken out of the starting mm-hmm. rotation, yeah. you actually saw steps forward in production. Same thing with the wide receiver core. The passing game was on pace to be one of the worst in history, and then somehow improved once you removed its highest paid players. That in and of itself is mind boggling. To me, if I'm a defensive minded head coach, you're saying, look, I go to my offensive coordinator. Why did you, wh- why explain this to me? And the offensive coordinator says, well, look, I'm, I'm trying to oversee the whole process. I'm trying to game plan, and I'm trusting on a talent evaluation level. i got to trust my coaches. And if my position coaches are telling me that Kelvin Benjamin and Andre Holmes give us the best chance to execute these, these plans or to make plays on the field, I'm going to trust their experience and, their ex- and just the fact that they're professional coaches. I'm going to trust that. And clearly they were wrong across the board this season. So with that, those firings aren't surprising to me. So I guess the next question is, who might be next? I mean, you look at the aspects of our offense that really struggled. They came out quickly, it seems, to address the wide receiver, the offensive line. Do you believe that there is a new quarterback's coach? I mean, is there anything that you think might be changed as you watch this ripple effect? I don't. I think they're done on the offensive side with the offensive line and, and mm-hmm. with the wide receivers. And I think the same thing that's going to save the quarterback's coach is what saved Brian Dable. And that's Josh Allen's last game, because 
I think Josh Allen, well, it wasn't a stellar rookie campaign. I think it was better than people thought it was going to be, mm-hmm. um, especially adding in that last game. He clearly did things better at the end of the season than he did at the beginning. He clearly did things better at the end of the season than he did in training camp. He got better as the season went on. And that's all you're looking for, right? I mean, you're looking at a guy mm-hmm. in Josh Allen who, realistic, he wasn't meant to start this season. He frankly wasn't meant to play this season. And it's a similar situation that I've drawn a comparison to EJ Manuel. EJ Manuel wasn't meant to start either. That goddamn Matt. The difference. <laughs> that goddamn Matt. <laughs> the difference between Allen and Manuel is Allen got better as the season went on, and EJ just kind of stayed the same. E- EJ that's never fair. really was a different quarterback than he was the day he got drafted. No, that's fair. I mean, you and you, you're right. You really didn't see any improvement. Whereas with Allen, we, I've made no bones about it. I've eaten pounds of crow from this end of the microphone about. How much better Josh Allen has gotten than the guy that I panned just flat out when the season started? Yeah. So you may be right, and they may be finished. Well, I mean, obviously, we'll have to wait and see until they make him official. But there is one departure that is very official. And as sad as I am to say it, Kyle Williams. Kyle Williams is officially finished playing in a Buffalo Bills jersey. And when the news broke Friday morning, Long-time defensive stalwart, fan favorite, all-around fantastic human being. Yeah, I mean, just... He comes out and announces that he's going to be... He's done playing football after 12 years straight of wearing a Buffalo Bills jersey. Chris, I remember telling Chris, I, I was listening to his interview shortly after he signed his first real contract extension. You know, he had had a great season. I think he had 10 sacks. Yeah. He was coming up on free agency... And he signs a contract extension with the Buffalo Bills. And then that week, he's on the Jim Rome show. And Jim Rome is interviewing him, and he's like, man, you re-upped with the Buffalo Bills. You, know, you, 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 you could have tested the water. You could have done all this. And instead, you decided to, this is how I want to play, play my career out. And he asked him about that. And his response, I mean, I, I, if you didn't like him before, you had to love him afterwards. Because like in Kyle Williams fashion... He says, ah, you know, I'm, I'm like an old hound dog. You scratch me behind the ears, I'll stay under the porch. And I just, there in that moment, I fell in love with the guy. It's yeah. like, you know, he could have leveraged us into a ton of money. And he didn't. And he stuck and he never around did. when he needed to. Yeah. And I very much feel like he felt that's what this season was. I mean, think about it. The guy played his whole career as a Buffalo Bill. I feel like that has to be kind of the dream of every player. To play for one team. To go down in, you know... At least in the eyes of the fans, in that team's history. Yeah, yeah most people don't get to do that. No. Manning didn't even do that. Not anymore, at least. Yeah. I mean, it used to be you played for one team. You know, it's kind of a, a throwback. I mean, you look at a guy, Kyle Williams, defensive tackle, 13 seasons doesn't happen. No. And then when it's one team, that really doesn't happen. And that was one of the reasons when they drafted Harrison Phillips, everyone said, oh, he's a Kyle Williams guy. I said, ah, that's a, that's a big burden to put on a kid. <laughs> you can't find you know? a Kyle. These guys don't grow on trees. Right. And... Just the type of player he was, the, the type of guy he was, he'd do anything he asked. Yeah. I mean, I, I likened him a lot in that sense to Lorenzo Alexander. Think about all of the different defensive flip-flops we've done in 13 years. Different coaching staffs, different defensive formations and uh, just theories that got rolled out there. It, he complied with everything. He did everything that he could as hard and as well as he could. And you think somebody would want to leave at some point with that. Oh, this team doesn't go to the playoffs. They fire coaches every 
two to three years. I got to learn a new scheme, yeah. new players. Like, I can't believe he wanted to stick around here. For- well, I mean, at a certain point, too, you see a lot of these guys where they go ring chasing, right? I mean, they get to the point where they're like, I've done all I can do. This mm-hmm. team's not winning. I'm going to go somewhere where I can win. And when you talk about Kyle Williams doing anything that the team asks of him, he does anything that anybody asks of him. And I mean, I go back to when you and I did training camp down mm-hmm. at, the, at, at the cap, and he had an off day. It was a veteran's rest day. And you walked up to him and asked him for an interview, and he gave you an interview. I mean, he, he didn't have He to. didn't even practice. He was on an off day. He didn't have to give you an interview. And he stood there for how, 15 minutes. He stood there. That's how, see, now, folks, that's what's cool about having somebody who actually understands how media is supposed to work. He's. He's everyone sees Kyle Williams walking across the field and they say it's like it's an off day. We're not gonna go talk day. to him. We're not gonna talk to him because off day players don't do interviews. Well, I'm just some idiot. You're the with, guy that walks in the middle of the field. I'm some idiot with <laughs> with uh, bad teeth and sweaty hands, and I just go over there. You don't know me. What's the rock pile report? He didn't care. The fact is I wanted to talk to him and that's what he cared about. Yeah. And he made time for me. That was it was a life changing experience. It was incredible for me. But that's the type of guy he is. He just he wants to put it all out there. I mean, I, I went back when they made the announcement. I watched the video of him telling the team. The team released the video Friday morning of him informing the team that, hey, just I want to tell you guys before the internet gets a hold of it, I'm retiring. And then I went back and I watched that video of them seeing the catch. Yeah. Seeing the Bengals catch that put us in the playoffs and gave him his first playoff game. And just the, the look in his eyes, this wide-eyed, like, you, it was like he was a rookie. Like it was a twenty-year-old kid watching a play happen. Yeah, you have the photo. Yeah, I, I took it because I specifically watched that play the other day, and that is the exact moment that Boyd breaks the tackle, mm-hmm. and you know he's going in. Yep. Because before that, it's oh, he caught it. They're going to get a first down and get another chance at this, and all of a sudden he breaks that tackle, and it's just a, a look of just. I'm going to cry, but my kids are here, so I don't really want to cry <laughs> because cry in front of them. Yeah. And, you know, that was, I think that was the moment that brought him back for one more year. This wasn't a surprise to anybody, right? I mean, we no. knew that he was eventually going to retire. We thought probably this year was his last year, but that's how much he means to this fan base and to this team is even though you knew it was coming, it still hurt. Well, and he was talking to Mike Rodak, and he, he said two things that really stand out. Again, just speaks to A, what kind of – because, again, he probably has some football in him. Yeah, sure. He said as much. He said, look, I could still probably play a few more years. But then his comments to Mike Rodak were essentially – and there's two quotes. One, I watched too many t-ball games and soccer games over FaceTime this past spring. And my daughter's 12 years old. I've been away in training camp for every year of her life. You know what? The guy's a family man. He just wants to go home and see his kids. He saw this thing through to the end. Yeah. And he got the – it's – and in his speaking to the team, he thinks that the team is on the right track and he doesn't feel like he's needed yeah. as much anymore. Which to me says that maybe this season – because everyone speculated. I mean, that's the touchdown run in the Miami yeah. game. That was about giving him a, a send-off. I think they thought that was his last game. And yeah. instead, he comes back for one more season, which makes that play kind of confusing until you think about who Kyle Williams is. If he's this guy who sees, he sits down with the coach and he's talking about what the next season's going to be like for the team. And the coach tells him, well, it's going to be rough. We're going to really, we're going to have a lot of dead money. We're going to make a lot of changes. There's going to be a lot of things here. that It's going to be tough. It's going to be a tough season. And he's, he guts it out for one more year yeah. because he felt you – know, just listening to the – guys, go to the Buffalo Bills uh, Buffalo Bills Twitter 
and go find this video where he's telling the team. And you listen to what he's saying. And he's essentially like, hey, I think we're on a, a great path. I, you know, the Things are headed in the right direction. I personally feel like that's the reason he came back yep. is because he, he knew what this season was going to be. And he kind of felt, hey, I don't want to leave this team in the lurch without leadership, without what I bring to the table for this team. I'm going to stick around one more year yeah, just to see everybody through it. And God bless him for that. Yeah, and you've seen guys this season step up. You've seen... You know, Lorenzo Alexander become a much more heavy in the leadership. Tremaine Edmonds, who has gone leaps and bounds beyond what I thought he'd be as a 20-year-old middle linebacker in the NFL. Even Josh Allen. Josh Allen. Starting to fill that leadership void. I mean, absolutely. And you see, you know, LaShawn McCoy, who hasn't been productive this year, but has been a leader. I mean, Mm -hmm. despite everything, he's been a leader. And, you know, you see, you know, uh, uh, sorry, Jordan Poyer and and Trey, Trey White has taken a huge step being kind of the fun-loving leader, you know, mm-hmm. not not a leader of lead by example, but more yep. of a, you know, kind of a rah-rah kind of guy. Let's, yeah. let's get everyone fired up when we feel like we need it. I feel like his job here truly is done. Yeah, and I and think if, he feels And that, if that's yeah. where he's at in his career, then God bless him. We wish him nothing but the best in the future. He leaves here. It's impressive when you look at the stats. 183 oh, games, 178 starts, and seven years Playing all 16 games. How many defensive tackles play seven years without missing a start? They play inc- seven years, period, before their bodies break down. One interception, four forced fumbles, 48 and a half sacks, 141 quarterback hits. It's amazing. 610 tackles, one All Pro nomination, and five Pro Bowls. I mean, take take that in, right? Six. How many? 600 and 610 tackles. 610 tackles in 183 games for a defensive tackle. Who's not a penetrating defensive tackle? He's meant to be a space eater. He's Remember, done, they drafted Darius to be the penetrator. He's done everything in his career, and to, to know that you're a guy from Buffalo, yeah. Buffalo, who made five Pro Bowls, that speaks to without being on a playoff team, right? That speaks to the level of talent you have that rises above everything else. Yeah, I mean, guys, cheers. We're gonna toast Kyle Williams. Kyle, we'll see you around, buddy. Hey. Coach said it right, man. The team that sticks together longest and grinds it out. That's us, man. That's what we live and breathe by. Hey, we worked our way through a mountain of adversity, man. Some tough stuff. I mean, as tough as I've been around. That's what I like about you guys, man. Character and hard work. Let's keep going, keep pushing, and let's keep working now. Bills on three. One, two, three. Bills. Organization is going to release that this weekend is going to be my last game in Buffalo. He's like one of those Volkswagen Beetles that just always goes, and you can hear it coming down the street from about three blocks away, and you hear it, it grows, it gets louder and louder, and then a bang, it goes by your house, and that's the way Kyle plays, and I appreciate that. Kyle Williams, touchdown! Amazing! Unbelievable! They put in Williams at the fullback. And he scores a touchdown, the 12th year defensive tackle into the game, and they're going nuts for the heart and soul of that Bills team, Kyle Williams.
This game is going to be won in the deep water. What do I mean in the deep water? Everybody's comfortable in the shallow end with two feet on the ground. All right? We live in the deep water. We live in the deep water where it's uncomfortable, where it hurts a little bit. That's where we live. And I'm not talking about playing hard. Everybody talks about playing hard. I'm talking about playing your guts. I'm talking about from the bottom of your feet. I'm talking about seeing sparks in your eyes. And it hurts. I'm talking about straining for that logo on the side of your helmet and not the name on your back. Because we know what it represents. It represents everybody here you see and everybody you can't that we've talked about. Not us, right? Well, not us. Yeah, not, not us. us. Let's tank it, man. Let's 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 just be done with it. You don't know anything about heart. You don't know anything about work. No. Huh? That's who we are. That's who we love. These boys are gonna enjoy it with their dad. Yeah. They knew what was coming. They wanted to come celebrate with us. Hey, hey, man. Coach and I talked about this a couple weeks ago. This is a start. This is not a finish. This is a start. All right. Let's stay on it. Let's stay on our standard every day and let's go make some noise. Bills on three. One, two, three. And that brings us to our week 17 recap. We close this season out, folks, and here are your statistics of the game. Kyle Williams. 59% of the defensive snaps, three solo tackles, one tackle for a loss. One catch for nine yards. <laughs> he finishes his career with a 100% completion, uh, catch percentage. <laughs> yeah, and he, and he said after the game, I'm glad they tackled me after nine yards because I don't think I could have made the other 40. <laughs> Quarterback Josh Allen, 17 to 26, 65% completion percentage, 224 yards, three touchdowns, one interception, a 114.9 rating. Nine rushes, 95 yards, two touchdowns, one sack. That's a mouthful. Yeah. Quarterback Ryan Tannehill, 18 to 31 for 58%, 147 yards, zero touchdowns, four sacks, and a 43.3 rating. And probably a, having to find a job. Probably. Wide receiver Zay Jones, nine targets, six catches, 93 yards, two touchdowns. Running back Kenyon Drake, 11 rushes for 43 yards. Five catches for five yards, five or four or five on uh, receiving attempts, 52 yards. Linebacker Trey Edmonds, 11 solo tackles, one tackle for loss, one quarterback hit, one interception, and one sack. I mean, it's just, bleh. I mean, how, how, how much more encouraging could your rookie class have left you that last game of the season? Josh Allen has by far his best game as a pro. Tremaine Edmonds probably had his best game as a pro in that game. And the Dolphins are, were a mess. I mean, but this was still a 6-9 and nine football team coming into this game, right? Or, oh, I'm sorry, 7-8 seven, seven football team coming absolutely. into this game. They weren't a bad team. They had beaten the New England, pa- New England Patriots. It wasn't a bad football team by any stretch of the imagination. They were, in, they were in shambles by the end of the season. Gates just completely lost control of things. But they didn't do it against, you know, the Cardinals. Yeah, it right. wasn't us beating up on a team that didn't finish 
didn't finish with more wins than we did. Right. So the Bills but, still drafted oh, higher in the draft than the Dolphins that, are. That, that was something Dolphins fans couldn't wait to throw in my face. As I, cause I can't, you know, you know me. I get on Twitter and I jokingly throw some shade, usually at guys I'm friends with, and just, hey, what do you think about this? Because yeah. I'm going to break balls. Why? Because that's funny to me. Yeah. And they obviously say, oh, well, you know, you, you guys are the worst team. I go, yeah, well, the worst team still has a head coach. <laughs> ah, shoot him the guns. What do you think about that? Shooter McGavin style. I mean, and, and, t- and other teams have to understand how long it's been since the Bills have gone out exodus season with both a quarterback and head coaching questions answered. Yeah. I mean, when's the last time that we came out of a season and knew who our head coach was going to be next year and knew that the quarterback situation was settled for at least another year? Rex Ryan's first year. <laughs> but even then, yeah, I mean, after that, you, yeah, because – but you thought you had the quarterback situation oh, yeah. figured out, right? And that was well. That's like I thought we had it figured out when Marone and uh, Manuel were here, and then all of a sudden Kyle Orton comes riding in like Uncle Rico <laughs> in his orange minivan and gets out and starts trying to sling the ball over those mountains. I mean, it's it's just it's hysterical. I here's what I'll say: if you want takeaways from the game, I mean, I'm, you guys have WGR for all the back and forth. What do you think about this and this and that? I want to bring you something that I noticed. Chris and I were talking about it at the stadium, so I actually put my thinking hat on and I went to work. People need to stop trying to fist fight the Buffalo Bills. It doesn't pan out for anyone. Look at this, folks. There's something about a fight. When it breaks out during our football games, don't do it. Don't kick the hornet's nest because the Bills' defense will maul you. And the team seems to feed off that. Okay, Jordan Mills gets ejected after he gets into a fight with Kiko Alonso after he takes that cheap shot on Josh Allen. First of all, Bush League play. Absolutely, yeah. But, but that's Kiko. And right? maybe I mean, he's just and maybe he's just salty about that time that Allen just made him look stupid running behind him. And it's just <laughs> inevitably pushing him out of the way dur- during the last game. I mean, first of all, Kiko, get an adult-sized jersey. You literally get those. I know that the trainers don't give them to you. You go and you buy them from the gift shop. tailored, yeah. No, he goes to the gift shop and he buys a child's <laughs> medium, and then he cuts the sleeves off of it and squeezes into it. Like Michael Bennett with the Eagles. Oh, oh yeah. He's yeah. an idiot. <laughs> he's an idiot who needs to wear adult-sized clothing, all right? Yeah, I mean, and how, how long... How long is he going to be able to get away with doing what he's doing? I mean, you're already starting to see comparisons to Perfect, right? Do you guys I mean, remember the hit on Flacco? Oh, my God. He, I mean, he legitimately almost ended Flacco's hit. career. Yeah, It's like everybody just bats an eye at this. And I do, you know what? You're not oh, as bad as... Though he's playing, he's being aggressive. Yeah. What he is is being an asshole. <laughs> Fuck that guy. Yeah. But with that said, there are some there are some consequences here for every team that seems to get, at least this season, that seemed to get into a fist fight with the Buffalo Bills. Go back to Jacksonville. It's the third quarter. There's two minutes and 57 seconds left in the third quarter. The, the, the score is tied 14-14. After that point, not only, I mean, the, we talked about that, just the complete implosion of the Jaguars' offense on that drive, but that doesn't happen unless our defense just comes out and wholly overwhelms them. And they finish that game with one tackle for a loss, Literally two zero two rushes for zero yards. They give up three sacks, one turnover, and the Bills finish with a plus three score differential. And it would be ten if you don't count the last second garbage touchdown that nobody on our defense was really afraid of. Yeah. Fast forward to the Miami game. Fist fight breaks out. Third quarter, seven fifty eight left. Jordan Mills, our right tackle, kicked out of the game. And I remember thinking, oh shit! Now, now we're gonna bring in a backup tackle. 
there's still a lot of time left in this game. Our offense is probably going to grind to a halt. Instead, the defense steps up, two tackles for a loss, two rushes, one sack, another turnover, a plus 18-point differential. From that point, it wasn't even a game. No. That fight happened, and the whole dynamic of the game changed. I go back to Sean McDermott's post-game comments after the Jacksonville game when he's talking about how, obviously, I don't condone fighting on the field. But at the same time, when people come at us like that, I expect my team to respond. Win. Yeah. That's a win. Yep. That's a win for this coaching staff. It's, right not, there. it's not condoning fighting, but it's condoning fighting, right? It kind of is. It's like, <laughs> look, don't, don't, don't roll over for these guys. Right. Stop being punching bags and just go. Something like that happens, use that. Take it out there and take it, just take it to them. And we've seen that now twice. And in this game, I mean, it was incredible. I think the person who stood out most on that defense, if we're talking about that performance in the second half, Trey Edmonds. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I mentioned Kenyon Drake's statistics. The reason why is because almost every one of his touches comes in the middle of the field. And be, it was to Edmonds' credit that he was able to wrangle in Kenyon Drake and keep him from making plays because they kept trying to find ways to get Kenyon. I mean, at this point, is, was it safe to say that coming into this game, he's probably the best offensive weapon Miami had? Yeah. I mean, yeah, Kenyon Drake's the most electric player on that team. Just dual threat. And he's he was the guy all season coming into every game that you said, if someone's going to beat us, it's going to be him. Yeah, so and You try and stop it. And so that's it. And he not only that, but Trey goes on to play 100% of the snaps in the game. He yep. never comes off the field. Because without Matt Milano, he's had no choice but to step up. And he's been impressive in that regard. Another guy who stood out, Shaq Lawson. Yeah. I was actually going to mention Shaq Lawson. I mean, he that, that fight happened while the offense was on the field, and it, they showed a quick pan of Shaq Lawson on the sidelines. He wanted in on that. Oh, you know he did. But he probably knows watching the Fournette thing. I know how yes. this is going to play out. Just wait till I get back out there. Yeah. He finishes the game with, what, a forced fumble, two sacks, uh, like four tackles. Yeah, two, forced fumble. Two sacks. Three. Two sacks. Yeah, two two tackles, and then three QB hits, which is yeah. a big number too, considering the team only had I think seven as a, as a whole. <laughs> he had three of them. So the guy found a way through a lot of this. The second half of this season, I don't want. You could argue he outplayed Trent Murphy. Yeah, I mean, I think that what they found in Shaq Lawson is he's not going to be. He's a, not explosive. He's, he's not, not going to be an every down step. guy, right? No. He's not going to be a guy that's going to anchor one side of the defensive front. But he is a guy who's going to be a good rotational pass rusher mm-hmm. because he gets upfield really well, he sets the edge really well, and he's a perfect complement to Trent Murphy. And I thought those two went, as soon as Murphy came back and was playing full-time, you saw a big change in Shaq Lawson. And I think it may not be a popular opinion because I was one of the guys who talked about maybe Shaq Lawson was a, a trade candidate in this offseason. I think he may have played himself into a contract, not a contract extension, at least picking up the option for a fifth year, which which is coming up. You could argue that, because coming into next, so next year he's going into his fourth year, and beyond that in 2020, the Bills are still slated as of right now. We don't know what they're going to do contract-wise, but right now in 2020, the Bills are like number one or two in the NFL in cap space. Yeah. Be, they're number, I think, two coming into this offseason, and they'll be number one the following offseason. So there's going to be room for long-term deals to be made Absolutely. there. So if this is a guy that you think you want to take that fifth-year flyer on just to see if this is him taking that next step, you have that flexibility. And I'd argue 
that after after thinking him a complete bust under Rex Ryan, this season he's taken that step. I don't know if it was last season being benched repeatedly, if it was this season when he got benched for a few games early on. He's, it's finally clicking. Yeah, McDermott talked about him in the uh, season-ending press conference about his ability to uh, put in the work on and off the field as far as training. So, well, yeah, and you, better carry over to next season. Yeah, and you saw you saw it two years ago with uh, sorry last year when they didn't pick up Sammy Watkins' option, which mm-hmm. would have been this year. And as soon as that happened, I said he's you know, he's done in Buffalo. Mm-hmm. He, he may not even make it to the regular season because. The option is a very low-risk situation mm-hmm. for, for a team, right? A fifth-year option, it only vests if the player's injured enough to where they can't pass a physical in March. So you've mm-hmm. got to be, I mean, you're talking Achilles, ACL, significant injury mm-hmm. for them not to be available in March. So it's a very low-risk move for the team to just say, we're going to lock you up for two years because it's a fourth and then fifth year. Fifth year. Mm-hmm. And in that time, prove it. Before you hit that option number, we're going to make it right with you, and we're going to give you a deal. Mm-hmm. Worst case scenario, you're still affordable. We can trade you before that fifth year. We'll send you someplace where you know they want you, and, and you get a year to prove yourself under a guaranteed contract. So, I mean, it's a very low-risk move, and I think it's a good option for them. You only get one of them, right? Well, exactly. So. And then I, you look at the offensive side of the ball. Brian, do you want to talk about people who played themselves into a second contract or at least into new life? Brian Dable and Josh Allen saved their best for last. You, I mean, you want to talk about a guy who Dable has been panned. I've had my moments where I, I've been down on him. And I guess the thing is, that people who follow us on Twitter think that I'm bipolar. Because when I, but, I You're never, not? but I'm never coming from a place of fired. What I always want is accountability. And when I say accountability, people just assume I mean, well, he should be held accountable and lose his job. No. You have but, said that on multiple occasions. Well, that's but after how many beers? Because anything I say after ten beers, you can pretty much throw that out the window. I mean, I've I've said some pretty egregious things, as we'll all agree. Yes, as we can all attest to. Lacey, you might have even been been the victim of a few of those. Yeah, I mean, even I mean, in the in the chats we have, I think there's been times where I've gone, "Come on, Drew, not it's not a uh, not a conspiracy. <laughs> Nobody's out to fix anything." So. So, uh, but when I call for accountability, what I mean is guys who are mandated to improve. That's it. I want a mandate put out there for improvement when I say things like that. Dable, he answered the bell on that front. He really has. Throughout the second half of the season from where we started, things have improved. And they, again, this game on Sunday, just seven different players with receptions. First and foremost, they came in with a solid game plan. Let's spread the ball around, get everybody involved. And maybe some of that is just trying to see what you have. Let's see who can execute what. So we're going to spread the ball to everybody. Everybody's going to get a touch. This two passing touchdowns. That's big. Mm-hmm. Two touchdowns to two different players passing. That's big. Three completions of 20-plus yards, and they only, <laughs> they only attempted two deep balls. So you were finding creative ways to get guys in space and use them differently. I mean, Chris, you want to talk about getting guys out in space and using them differently. What about Kyle Williams on that play here? Why don't you play play the game call? There it is. Try to throw it to his first career catch. <laughs> and they are on their feet in Buffalo. And the proper send-off. <laughs> that is awesome. I could see it coming. I kind of felt they were going to come with that bootleg. 
I'm surprised the Miami players couldn't sniff that out a little bit better. That's Beth Mowens and Steve Berline from CBS Sports. Yeah, why couldn't the Dolphins sniff that out? You saw him on the field. <laughs> you knew it was his last game. They came out with a creative game plan. Can I, can I just say about that replay? I didn't hate that announcing pairing as much as I thought I would going into the game. Oh, God. I compared Beth Mullins to, uh, what, what's her face, from the Yankees, Susan Waldman. <laughs> <laughs> I, thought she was, I mean, I thought she was, she was all right. She's I, terrible. I really like Steve Berline. I think it's been a while since I've heard him call a game. It's been, I mean, he's kind of like the, what, like the E-team for, for CBS. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, well, because week 17, you know, you have no Thursday, no Monday night game, no Sunday night game unless it's for a playoff spot. So it's all hands on so deck. So it's yeah. all hands on deck for that final week, and we're like, you know, they just get whoever from CBS. Like, yeah, he does, I, co- I, he does yeah. a college game this week. Yeah, yeah. I know you <laughs> usually do, you know, March Madness basketball for CBS, but we're going to need you on football. Yeah, I know you're, you're normally calling, like, Northwestern football, but <laughs> yeah. we, we need you to come to come to Buffalo. But I didn't I didn't hate that announcing pairing as much as I thought I would. It, it's a nice change to Spiro Dinez. But Spiro Dinez is my boy! <laughs> He's a saint. Beth Mullins, on the other hand. It's Beth Mullins. Mullins, Mullins, whatever. Mullins. She's not, not going not to not gonna matter. Not going to work here anymore. Not going to work here anymore. <laughs> I won't have to hear her ever again, hopefully. I think of Susan Waldman here. Goodness gracious, John! That's, that's, all I, that's all I hear when I hear Beth Mullins. Kudos to Brian Dable for crafting yeah. a plan that worked. Crafting a plan that played to the strengths of the guys he had on the field for finding creative ways to get guys out in space and making hay out of something. And for Josh Allen, the much maligned Josh Allen, pocket presence and confidence, that was the thing of the day. The fact that those quick outs, those short passes, those short quick passes keeps the defense off balance. And I think the most impressive throw he had all day wasn't – I mean, it's a highlight reel throw because it's a touchdown, but it wasn't the long one to Zay Jones. It wasn't. It was the quick out to Foster for the touchdown. Yeah. And the reason I love that touchdown so much is because that's not a pass he could have made five weeks ago. No. It was sharp. It was where only his receiver could get it, and it happened so quickly that you have to have your mechanics down pat. You're going to throw a laser. It's a timing route. Exactly. Yeah. He couldn't make those. No. A month and a half And he ago. never made those in college. No. And that's the thing. I, th- I think that's a, a thing that a lot of Bills fans need to understand with Josh Allen. He's never he's never going to be Tom Brady. He's never going to be Aaron Rodgers. And I don't say that in terms of the greatness level. He's never going to be that in terms of completion percentage. He's never going to co- be Drew Brees, right? He's never going to complete 70% of his passes. Mm-hmm. He's going to be probably Cam Newton-ish, where he's going to be 60%-ish for the season. And I think you're going to have to live with that because... It's, it's just who he is. I mean, he has he's improved over the course of the season, but he still makes throws where it's like, oh my god, who, what, who, who are you throwing the ball to here? Well, and the thing with that is, though, people talk about that, and I, the whole Jeff Schwartz and Nate Geary debate that rages on Twitter after almost every single Bills game when Josh Allen does well is you've got this crowd of people that dislike Josh Allen because they they were like me who said, well, based on his college tape and based on this. He's going to be bad. Yeah. And, but, but the difference between me and them is that they have a professional opinion, quote-unquote. They have a blue check next to the name on social media. <laughs> so they also have a reputation to uphold. So they have a vested interest in dying on that hill yeah. that they've chose to plant their flag in. Yeah. Me, I'm just an idiot with a podcast who sits here and talks to a few hundred people a week 
who want to hear opinions from a fan. And as a fan, here's what I can tell you. I watched this kid get better. Absolutely. Week over week over week from like the halfway point of the season. And to me, that's incredible because I didn't think he had any of that in him. I was was preparing myself for a train wreck. And it didn't happen that way. And for everybody out there who wants to say, I talked to a couple people this week who said, well, you know, Allen didn't do that well. AFC Offensive Player of the Week. He's the first quarterback since Drew Bledsoe did it in 2002 in a Bills uniform to win that award. But but here's the question that I would ask those the people that say, well, he didn't play that great. I would be compared to what? I mean, compared to what he was early in the season? Because I disagree that he played great compared to what he was early in the season. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, I mean if, you're, if your bar is, again, I'm going to throw the names out there, Brady, Rodgers, Breeze, He's a rookie. It's, it's not a fair comparison. I mean, quite frankly, it's not a fair comparison for anyone to have that. But that's what a lot of fans look at. And they say, you know, we've got to have this guy to go to the Super Bowl. There's plenty of teams out there. I mean, Philadelphia is getting ready to do it again because Nick Foles <laughs> is getting hot, and that's a problem for the NFC. You know, you look at, I mean, it's just year after year. I mean, Cam Newton's done it three times, four times. He's won the division, gone mm-hmm. to the playoffs, made a deep run. You've got to remember that just because – just because he's the exception, not the rule, doesn't mean that he can't be the exception. Just because the, he could be, just because he might be successful being a 60, 61 percent completion percentage guy, doesn't mean he can't do it. He's got to figure out ways to be poised in the pocket, mm-hmm. stop playing hero ball, which mm-hmm. he's done immensely over the last five games. I mean, in Wyoming, he was the only source of offense. So he played a ton of hero ball. Well, I go back to that interception he threw in the Green Bay game. Yeah, I mean that's that's him just trying to do things that you shouldn't, you can't do at that, the NFL. That's hero you ball. don't get away with them, right? And you look at it now, and he's not that quarterback, no. or at least he hasn't done those things. That's not to say he won't do them ever again, but I didn't see it on a consistent enough basis to say, oh, well, he's still that guy. And I just keep thinking back to this 2002 thing. He bro- how many records has the kid broken this yeah. season? He broke Tyrod Taylor's rushing record in his first year. Everyone's thing was, ah, well, our offense is going to struggle because Tyrod's mobility did this, this, and this for us. He broke his rushing record and scored more touchdowns than he did. You talk about throwing the ball. I'd argue he threw the ball, even if the yardage isn't there, he threw the ball better than Tyrod Taylor's throw. Oh, absolutely. I mean, he his game... Sunday is better than the best game Tyrod ever played. In the and season. he has room for growth. And I just keep thinking back to that. 2002. 2002, I was still buying dollar store cologne and trying to grow <laughs> a sweet afro and not figuring out why neither one of them were working with girls while I'm still a junior in high school. Come on! You were probably wearing Abercrombie and Fitch cologne. Oh, no, 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 no. I was uh, No, no, I bought Jupe. Because I thought that was a good idea. Yeah, oh, that's right. J O O P exclamation point, yeah, folks. You couldn't afford Abercrombie Cologne. <laughs> I mean, you know, and just just to put it into context, you talk about Josh Allen, and when I say when I say he's you know he's going to be sixty percent completion percentage guy, he was he finished the season fifty two point eight percent completion percentage. So if you talk about eight percentage points, and that's where he kind of gets for his career, that's an additional you know thirty five forty completions in a season. He's averaging. Six and a half yards, you know, that's an additional 300, 400 yards in a season, plus 600 yards rushing. I mean, he's a 4,000-yard-a-season guy. Mm-hmm. If you can get that from the quarterback position, that's huge. Mm-hmm. If you can get 4,000 yards from the quarterback position a season and 30 touchdowns combined, 
that's a massive number. I mean, you're on your way with a solid defense. You're on your way to making legitimate hay in the playoffs and pushing for a Super Bowl. I just I, I walk away from this game. I know it's not, I mean, we just brought up Super Bowls and Afros and cheap cologne. <laughs> I mean, we, we that's a mouthful. We just covered a lot there. That being said, I walk away from Sunday's game thinking, okay, yes, you played a played a questionably talented football team, or at least questionably efforted football team. They, their hearts may not have been in it. And after that fist fight, I think we just decided, okay, we're going to put our boots in these assholes, yeah. which which we should do. They deserved yeah. it. That being said, I walk away from this season feeling pretty damn good about what I saw on Sunday in our final game and heading into next season from both offensive coordinator and quarterback. Yeah, I mean, because the two big things that I took away were, A, first drive, they score, right? That's script, and that's what you want from your offensive coordinator. Your offensive coordinator needs to be able to come out and open the game with a 15-20 play script and score a touchdown, right? He did that. Offense stalls in the second quarter. They don't score any points. He goes into halftime. He comes out 28 points in the second half. That's huge for an offensive coordinator. And something Dable hasn't been great at is coming out of halftime and scoring second half points. Mm -hmm. And he did that. And I think, like I said earlier, I think this game probably saved him. I don't know if it saved his job necessarily, but it definitely saved him from maybe a game three, game four next season firing if they come out struggling in the next season. He was pretty good at that in college. Yeah. Tua. Tua. Tag. Tua tag of the over. And roll time, baby. Yeah. Woo. <laughs> Just, that took you literally like a second and a half to get where I was going with that. <laughs> yeah, they put in Tua in the second half. Look what happened. Wait, you mean my, you mean my sensibilities are slowing down? Yes. Let, let me uh, open up another wobbly pop over here. So, folks, as we head into our final hero and zero of the uh, 2018 season, first of all, hero of the game, there's a lot of people, and I was so tempted to give it to Josh Allen, but... I went back through our records, and Kyle Williams has never gotten one, so what the hell? We give it to him. Here's the deal. I'm the best there is, plain and simple. I mean, I wake up in the morning, I piss excellence. And if there was a zero to be had anywhere, we're going to go ahead and just hand that one off to my liver. Okay? My liver is the biggest loser of the week. Hey, if you want me to take a dump in a box and mark it guaranteed, I will. Between the 320-ounce Seagrams that I had to drink during the during the tailgate, compliments of Chris because he loves to ambush me with this shit. The first one was at 7.30 in the morning. Do you have any idea how to, how rough it is? To, I'm literally in the process of telling him, hey, I'm kind of hungover. i I, I got to ease into this whole drinking thing. He goes, oh, yeah, well, you want to ease into it? Here's a 20-ounce can of Seagram's. It's like a mimosa, right? It's a good start to the morning. Yeah, basically, yeah. And you talk about, you know, don, you know, uh, pundits dying on hills, you dying on, oh yeah, Miami's getting in the playoffs. You just wait until I get drunk. He waits until I'm <laughs> seven or eight beers deep, and then at that point, asks me about it my works. hot takes, and just, oh, you want to bet it on works. it? works. Take a note of that in the chat, <laughs> Ryan. That's when you get him on a Seagram's bet. So that's it, folks. Put a fork in it, it's done. The 2018 season. I mean, if we want to take a look at it in review... I mean, there's a couple, there's one big point I want to start with. And that's, we just got done talking so much about Josh Allen. Where does he rank? Because all of the preseason run-up, all the hype coming into this year was about this rookie quarterback class and about what they were going to be and who was going to be what and what quarterback was going to be a franchise changer and who was so, so overrated or so untalented or inaccurate that they couldn't possibly make it in the NFL so you take a look back now that we've got substantial tape and we've gotten to see, I mean, I, I understand everyone's people listening to this are going to be like, oh, wow, Peyton Manning had a bad preseason. I understand that. 
But I want to take a look back and apples to apples, take a look and talk about the quarterback class as a whole. I mean, you look at the win, the wins. Baker Mayfield, he sets the rookie record for the touchdowns in the season. On probably the most talented offense of the five rookies. Out of the five rookies, yeah. he are, his team probably spent the most on offensive line, wide receivers. They probably had the most coming into this. The record is six and seven. Mm-hmm. And he's got a 46% win percentage. Okay? You compare that to a Josh Allen who's five and six, but that's a 45% win percentage. I'm probably the least talented offense. Least talented offense in the NFL. I would argue in the NFL at some points. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're, we, at the halfway point, we're looking at undrafted free agents and waiver wire pickups to anchor our wide receiver core. Yeah. That's where we were. Right. So, Sam Darnold, you know, he started off the season. Everyone, I heard people talk about Broadway Joe comparisons after that week <laughs> one. But things change. Yeah. The kid ends up four and nine, 31% win percentage. And then you've got Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson goes six and one with an 85% win percentage on possibly the most talented and complete roster overall out team, of yeah. any yeah. of the. That, I mean. That's the benefit of being drafted. And so here's, here's what I think. And, and the only guy on a team that has a legitimate quarterback to well, learn from. Yeah. And so this is one of the things that I look at. When I take a look at this rookie class, there's just a couple points that stick out to me. And they're just conversation points, but Lamar Jackson having the success that he has. I look at Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers was drafted in the late, he was drafted in the 20s when he got taken. Because that was a good football team that just said, hey, this is the best football player on the board and we have an aging quarterback. Let's go out there and grab a quarterback and see what can happen. Now, they sat him for four, three years before they played him. Two, uh, two yeah. Two years. Yeah. So Jackson didn't get that luxury of sitting for multiple seasons to learn the NFL game. But the fact that he was taken where he was taken kind of speaks to the fact that that was a good football team mm-hmm. that he got drafted by. They have the NFL's best defense. I mean, look at the Chargers game. Mm-hmm. It's not hard to win a football game on the road when your defense completely blanks the other team, forces Phillip Rivers to throw two interceptions, get no, get negative fantasy points, and cost me seven hundred dollars <laughs> in fantasy football. That's your fault for starting Rivers, though. <laughs> <laughs> That's a discussion for another day, and one we've had. But then you look at it. What, what did Jackson do over those six wins? He threw, in seven games, he threw 1,200 yards, six touchdowns against three picks, and had a 58% completion percentage. And he threw really nothing downfield. So you compare that to a guy like Josh Allen, who finishes with, what, in a, a couple more games, but finishes with 800 more yards passing, obviously more interceptions than touchdowns over that span, and a completion percentage that falls a little bit under that. But again, you're dealing with, I mean, this is a coaching staff that's still firing people. Mm-hmm. You're dealing with a better coaching staff, with a better roster overall. In your opinion, Ryan, when you take a look at this quarterback group as a whole, what do you? Th- where do you think Allen fits in as far as how they played out over the course of the season? Um, I, I tell you, I'm really worried about Josh Rosen. I was high on Josh Rosen coming out. I thought, like a lot of people, that he was the best, oh, pro, most pro-ready I was to that step guy. in and play. I was there with you. 23% win percentage, 3-10. He threw 11 touchdowns to 14 interceptions, had a completion percentage of just three points higher than Josh Allen's. Here's the thing that, that worries me. 
I look at the last six games from Allen to Rosen. Allen goes three and three, throws twelve hundred yards, eight touchdowns to seven picks. So he comes out with a positive interception to touchdown ratio, runs for another four hundred and seventy six yards and five touchdowns. That's when he started to feel his athleticism and say, "Hey, I can put this team on my back and go win football games." You look at Josh Rosen over his last six games, one and five. 862 yards, two touchdowns to four picks, 91 yards rushing, and I think he had like seven or eight sacks. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and the, the concern that you have to have for Rosen is, you know, none of these quarterbacks were throwing to a pro uh, Hall of Fame wide receiver in Larry Fitzgerald, and <laughs> yeah. none of them had a running back the caliber of David Johnson. Let's not forget, David Johnson's a season removed, well, two seasons now, removed of being arguably the best running back in the NFL, right? I mean, this is yeah, a, you could say that. This is a bad offensive line that Rosen played behind. It's a bad overall team, but he had weapons to play with. I mean, he had, you know, again, Larry Fitzgerald, David Johnson. You put Larry Fitzgerald and David Johnson on this Bills team? You could have, this is, this is a 500 team at very least. Now, what does that say about Cardinals coaching? Well, well there's a Steve reason Wilkes, Wilkes is fired. Yeah. yeah, I mean, he got a year with a rookie quarterback and still got fired. And that's how bad this that they this front office must have thought Steve Wilkes did. Yeah, well, and not even to mention Mike McCoy got fired during the year. Yeah. Now you don't even know if Leftwich is going to come back. Yeah, I mean, that was a, that was puzzling for me. And I didn't even know he was a coach, to be honest with you. Well, Leftwich. And so that's the thing, I guess, is when I walk away from all this, I say, what happened with the quarterbacks in 2018 that were the story of the 2018 offseason? Yeah, so Rosen, I think, was is last right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's the one I'm most concerned about. Lamar Jackson's probably next. He's probably fourth. Um, just because I I just don't think that he's an NFL quarterback. When you watch him play, the thing is, it's not that he's not an NFL quarterback, but I see a lot of Tyrod and RG3 in his game, yeah, which are quarterbacks who are athletic. They're guys. They're, and it's not to say that they can't win games in the NFL. It's just what do they need you, to you win You can't these ask games? him to do a lot. How many right? close games with the number one defense in football, how many close games are you going to be able to win what happens when de- defensive coordinators like they did to Tyrod Taylor inevitably figure out how to stop you from running the ball? Right. Whereas when you're a quarterback who can, if you don't threaten them with your arm, right. or if there's easily exploitable holes in your game, from a passing standpoint, your rushing ability can easily be muted. Yeah. So I'd agree with that. And I would say Baker Mayfield is, is probably number one. I mean, oh. for me, he's head and shoulders above any right now. You broke, gonna, the, you broke the touchdown record. Yeah, I'm not going to say he's going to be the best at the end of this whole thing out of these five, but he's far and away the best right now. And then I think it's close between Allen and Darnold. I like Darnold because I think he showed a lot as Up a passer. <laughs> he showed a lot. He showed me a lot as a passer, and he had the come from behind victory, march his team downfield against the Bills, against a very good defense, marched him downfield, and won that football game. I think Josh Allen probably is a 2A, 3, so he's right in that middle ground. Mm-hmm. Um, if he had more games throughout the season like he did against Miami, I think he would have leapfrogged Darnold for me. But I still think Darnold is, he's a guy that can, if you put weapons around him, you put a good offensive line in front of him, he's a guy that can throw for 4,000, pushing 5,000 yards, 30, 35 touchdowns, and he doesn't turn the ball over a ton, at least he did in college. So mm-hmm. I, he, I think he's... Long term, 
just speculating, I think Darnold might be the most talented out of all of these quarterbacks. Um, and I didn't buy it going into the draft. I thought he was overdrafted. Um, but I think he showed enough where I'm okay with him being number two and then Allen being number three. But that could be flip-flop. I'd, 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 I'd take an argument for either one. So when I look at this, this is where I walk away. This is me personally just taking a look at all this and who I think has the best upshot going forward. I, I look at a guy like Baker Mayfield. The Browns have a ton of money. Mm-hmm. I was shocked to see how much money they have to spend in free agency. That team is going to get better. Mm-hmm. And if he can play the way he plays, if you're talking about what it means to their different to their different franchises, Baker Mayfield might have the best overall upshot right now because he's got a game that's hard to take away. He's very accurate. I mean, what? He finished with a 63.8 completion percentage. It's like you said. There's a lot of 60-plus guys who fall every season into that 63 to 65 range. If he improves and he stays there, you can build an offense around that guy, and you can be a team to reckon with. I also would argue that Mayfield probably has the highest upshot because you're talking about a division that doesn't have one supremely dominant head coach and quarterback combo the way that we do. So if you're talking about just your top three, Darnold, Allen, and then you compare that to Mayfield. Darnold and Allen are going to have to live in the shadow of Tom Brady and Bill Belichick. You're seeing it now. Brady is an underwhelming quarterback right now, and he's still steamrolling teams in this division. And he will because that's the coach he is. And I'll see him in hell. I'm sure he and I will be able to discuss it for all of eternity. But with that said, I would argue that Allen has a high, for me, has more upshot than Darnold. And the only reason I think that is because he's got athletic tools that Darnold doesn't. And I think, or at least going into next season. I mean, obviously there's a lot that's going to happen between now and then. But I walk away from this thinking, okay, you just fired your coaching staff. Alex Smith was a talented quarterback, or at least good enough, for a competent offensive coordinator to kind of work around. Instead, he spent the first chunk of his season until he got traded to Kansas City he just one offensive coordinator after another after another you change schemes you change coaches he dealt with it all and he never found that consistency that everybody thought he would grow into until he got a supremely talented head coach who was also a very good offensive mind I'm sure the Jets are going to go out there and try to sign a guy like that but you don't know yeah. And he's going to be relearning some, regardless of who they hire, They're going to be he's going to be relearning some aspects of what he already knows. And that's one of the things I think is uh, a downside to both Baker and Darnold, right? Is yes. You know what they can do in these offenses, but they're not going to be in these offenses next year. Nope. It's going to be a completely different offense. And Sean McVay's don't fall off trees. No, and that's why I look at Josh Allen's situation and I say we've got money, we've got draft capital. We can make this work. It's on the staff and the GM, obviously, to make it happen, but I feel really good. Chris, I've come a long way. <laughs> Folks, from, from the guy who was naked screaming on a balcony with, two, with, with a beer in each hand in Jamaica, around people who, a lot of whom couldn't even understand what, foot, <laughs> what American football is or why is that man so angry about it. <laughs> I mean, I was yelling about the irrelevance of pants. That's the point that the Josh Allen draft pick drove me to. And now I'm here thinking, we may really have something. I've come a long way this year, and so has Josh Allen. It's going to be really interesting to see what happens in the future. I'm excited. With that, we've got to close this show. We have some superlatives to hand out. It's like your high school yearbook, folks. Got some awards to give away. 
cool. I was class clown two years in a row. If you can believe that. Class clown, Chris, you couldn't speak to people. When <laughs> folks, when we when Chris was first divorced and he'd be on Tinder, it was I was like a father teaching a kid how to uh, on training wheels on a bicycle. I would have to start every Tinder conversation for him. And then turn him loose with it and see if he could turn it into a date. No, I drove those into the ground. Were you, yeah, you were, were you class clown because you dressed like a clown every day? <laughs> no. It was the rainbow wig and the <laughs> red nose. Sat in the back of the class. They're like, well, Jesus, we have to give it to this guy because he's, he's literally a clown. He's literally a clown. <laughs> well, I did go to a private school. So in my high school, I think there were a total of like 70 people. It and was, I graduated with like 16. So everybody got a So yeah. It was the makeup and the eyeshadow. That's what it yeah. was. They were just like, oh, look, he's like kind of like a clown. <laughs> with that, first and foremost, individual awards. Most improved player of the year. Laisel, what do you got for me? Oh, man. Most improved player. Uh... Most improved from 17 to 18. Yeah, I mean that takes a lot of the rookies out. You know, I, I'm gonna go um, a little a little out of the box. Okay. And I'm gonna go Jordan Poyer. I think okay. as impactful as Jordan Poyer <clears throat> was last year to this team in terms of interceptions and playing that center field role, I think he was a lot more impactful this year. And especially in the run game, in in tackling, when Matt Milano went out, he immediately stepped in and filled that role and helped that linebacker that kind of filled in. For Milano, mm-hmm. Poyer heads and tails, and I think he emerged a lot as kind of a an anchor to this defense. Even if you can't keep all of these guys going forward, Jordan Poyer, I think, is a guy who went from was seventeen a fluke to is he going to get better in nineteen mm-hmm. than he did even in eighteen. So I, I, I'll give it to him, even though I think a lot of people would probably go Matt Milano on this one. Chris, what do you got for me? Uh, I don't. I don't think people will. He didn't get a lot of opportunities until we got rid of uh, Andre Holmes and Calvin Benjamin, but I go Zay Jones. You know, jump through a window and look what can happen to you. <laughs> I went with a guy you just mentioned, Ryan, Matt Milano. Yeah. And I think that was low-hanging fruit, but how could you not go with him? The guy improves in turnovers 6-1 to one from last season. Tackles for losses, solo tackles. He made 52 of them this year compared to 29 last year. Which underscores the, the just his understand his spatial awareness when it comes to football. Passes defensed. He incre- he I think he doubled his total from last year, which means that a he was uh, not only does he have a better feel for pass prote- pass coverage, but he also un- he's also being given more opportunities by the coaching staff. They trust him more to make him a true three down linebacker. He's that difference maker. Game in and game out, he's consistently out there on the field making plays. And now, next to a guy like Trey Edmonds, who's coming on, I look at that and I say, you know what? We are set up for success here. But it's Milano is a fifth-round pick who you just you didn't see yeah. that coming. Yeah, no, and I think one of the things he improved this season that a lot of people were worried about coming into the year was his ability in pass coverage, right? To be able to get out and yep. cover those you know, slot, slot uh, receivers and the, the corners coming out or the, the backs coming out of the backfield and tight ends. He did a really good job at that this season, and that was a huge stepping stone for him to be – Okay, we're good at two of the three linebacker positions. Now let's go get a guy, you know, this year. When you figure you invested a fifth round pick and a first yeah. round pick in two different drafts in that position, and all of a sudden you've got two three down linebackers who are becoming impact impact players yeah. on the team. That's more than you could ever ask for. Yep. That well, that pick most improved player for you. That also comes with the side of crow. Yes. Yeah, I've hated every one of our drafts for the last two years, and guess what? Who looks like an ass? 
this guy. <laughs> so biggest regression of the year. Who do we give that award to? For me, it's probably Deion Dawkins. Oh. He did not play well this year. I mean, and I think that's what got Juan Castillo fired because you knew that this offensive line was a mess, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you knew that he, that, that he had his hands full. But the fact that Deion Dawkins didn't, didn't, not only didn't take a step forward, but took, frankly, two steps back at that left tackle position, you go from an offseason where you've got to address at least three spots, maybe four spots on the offensive line, to do we need to upgrade every offensive line position? And that's a problem for me heading into the season. Chris, what do you got? Uh, is it cool to go Shady McCoy? I mean, he didn't, <laughs> Why not? he didn't do a whole lot. No, I mean, he, LaShawn McCoy had a career low. I mean, there was games where he was literally averaging one point something yards per carry. Yeah, not a good year. It, it was just a career worst across the board. You can blame some of that on the offensive line, but there's a real fear there that maybe this is what we're going to get. Yeah, I mean, father time always wins. Right? Yeah. And sometimes it comes faster for some than it does for others. And it very well may have come pretty quickly for Shady. Maybe we'll he can see. improve on that this offseason by having an all-women party. And I, and I, think the, I think the problem that Bills fans have to look at is coming into this offseason, if he doesn't get any better and he's what he was this year, next year, how, do you regret not trading him at the trade deadline if, in fact, there were suitors out there for him, even if it was for a fifth or a sixth-round draft pick? Oh, I, I mean, said that. I yeah. said that up top. One more time. <laughs> I said that earlier this year. If you can get a fifth or a I six, mean, I was a pro- I was a proponent for training him ahead of the ahead of the trade deadline. I because hate I both just, of you. Yeah, because I just thought that <laughs> I thought two things. One, I thought it was the right thing to do for him because I think he deserves to go play for a place where he has a chance to win a ring because it's really the only thing he's missing in his career, right? And the second thing was I just thought that he's you've gotten everything you can get out of him. You've done everything you can as as a Bills team. And I want this team to be more like Bill Belichick and just cut bait a year early as opposed to a year late. I'd rather see him go have one more good year in Houston and let the, let him make a run with that team because he goes to Houston and they're probably the favorites to win the AFC. <laughs> That's the, You could argue that. Mine is pretty much a given. I mean, I agree with you on the Deion Dawkins point and I agree with you on LaShawn McCoy. But I don't know you can... I guess here's the thing. They both regressed... But did either one of them get cut? Did any, either one of them lose their jobs? <laughs> Nobody else out there is wondering whether or not they're going to be stocking shelves at Home Depot when this next run with the Kansas City Chiefs doesn't pan out. And you continue dropping balls. Popeye's biscuit away from a tight end. That's it. <laughs> Wide receiver Kelvin Benjamin. I have never seen, in all my years being a Bills fan, I've never seen, I've seen us make bad free agent moves. I've seen us make bad trades where we trade for a guy who just never lives up to the billing. I've never seen us acquire a guy who didn't live up to the billing and then somehow treaded water. He was invisible. He's dropping catchable balls that are hitting him in the hands when his hands were the only tool that he has left. You're big. You have a big catch radius, but you're also overweight and slow. So this is what you have, is your catching ability. And he half-assed his way through half the season before we finally just put him out of his misery like old Yeller. I think you're miss, you're missing the uh, the biggest point of of his season is that he's in a contract year, and if you saw what wide receivers were getting last off season, you wouldn't want a, a cut of that pie. He easily costs himself three to four million dollars a year. Oh, easy. I mean, Quincy Noonan just signed for what eight million a year? Eight million a year. Yeah, that's what he just got that's, paid under the tag. And right now, I would take Quincy Noonan oh, at yeah. eight million over a Kelvin Benjamin at eight million. Oh, absolutely. 
Because at least that guy puts in some fucking effort. <laughs> Jesus Christ. When he's on the field, yeah. No, I, I agree. That's a, that's a good one. I, I mean, that, down that's a good one. <laughs> We're going to reel it back in. New face who made the biggest impact. New face to 2018 in a Bills uniform made the biggest impact. What do you got, Chris? Uh, I'll probably go with, uh, I mean, it took a little bit of, what you say, uh, the nuances, uh, Edmonds. Ah, Edmonds. Right. I mean, the, the way he played in the, in the Dolphins game, you just hope that carries into next season now that he's more uh, sure of his instincts of what's happening on the field. Yeah, I mean, for a 20-year-old. Well, that's it. The kid, he's the... <laughs> he's not even allowed to drink. Well, this is what I hate. This is what I hate about the NFL, or at least about the guys who have to you, do the job that Vic Caruso does. They can't even let him pay for the rookie dinner because there's alcohol in the tab and he can't buy alcohol. That's hilarious. <laughs> um, they got to split the checks. Here's, here's the thing. When, I'm t- when you're looking at a guy like Trey, the things I hate about the job that guys like Vic Carucci and Sal Capaccio and th- these guys have to do, Joe Biscaglia... You constantly see the tweets. Oh, today, Tremaine Edmonds set the, uh, the, the the youngest player to ever make an interception. The youngest player to do this and to do that. And to do... It's not hard to do when you're still a fucking teenager. Yeah. With that said, he was impressive throughout the second yeah. half of the season. Like a lot of the team, he was he was a rookie early on. His draft profile said that he would struggle to diagnose players. Raw. Yeah. Raw. He's going to have to be coached up. And he didn't play football for that long before no. he got drafted either. No. I think, what, his junior year of high school is when he started playing football. Yeah, so. so it's to the coaching staff's credit that we see this player that we see now here in the final week just dominating another team from the linebacker position. Plus, you look at the nuances of a Sean McDermott defense requires so much of the middle linebacker. Luke Keekley took to it like a fish to water. Yeah. And he, he was a pro bowler in that defense. Why? Because he was a, immensely talented. Very athletic. And Sean McDermott's defense is built that, yes, you're going to have a lot of responsibility, but if you can do it well, it'll make you a star. Yeah. He looks like a kid who might be able to grasp some of that. And he's got the physical chops that if he takes to it the way Keekley did, inevitably, at some point in his career, if he, even if he can be a more athletic Preston Brown in this defense, it'll still make you a standout. Yeah, I mean, you look at... You look at Tremaine Edmonds and his athleticism, he's heads and tails above Luke Geekley. I mean, just pure athleticism. If he can have, you know, three quarters of the brain that Keekley plays with, I mean, you talk about the physical characteristics, he's Brian Urlacher. I mean, that's how physically imposing he can be. He's 20 years old. He's going to keep getting bigger for at least another two to three years. You know, you talk about a guy who's 20 years old, he might have another 15 seasons of football in him <laughs> if he becomes successful. Think about that. Don't don't talk to me about 15 seasons. Get me into next year and we can talk about that. For me, it boils down to it's kind of an outlier. And maybe that makes me a homer, but roll damn tide. Wide receiver Robert Foster. Yeah, that's a good one. We had no downfield presence in our passing game. We were heading into that game against the Jets. I mean, we talked to Joe Blewett from Turn on the Jets Film Room here on this podcast where he said flat out, he's like, you guys are going to struggle to pass the ball. Our cornerbacks are highly paid. They're effective. This is all, this isn't wrong, all the things he was saying. And then Matt Barkley came in just saying, hey, I don't have a job. Fuck it. You can't, what, are you going to fire me again? I don't care. And just started hucking the ball down the field. And here's this kid who just needed an opportunity to make a play. 
And it turns out he can get open downfield. He's got speed. He's got he's six foot two, but he can track the ball well over his shoulder, and he's got burner speed. Yeah. You that's a rare combination. And you saw him as soon as he was introduced to this offense, our passing game took a jump forward. Mm-hmm. And so with that, I think that he might have made one of the biggest impacts just being a new guy in a Bills uniform. I mean, that's it. Our, you saw all of a sudden our offense opened up. New things became available. When we could stretch the field vertically, all of a sudden Zay Jones is open for passes. All of a sudden Isaiah McKenzie's coming on wide receiver sweeps. Why? Because you're dragging cornerbacks downfield down with this tall wide receiver who's going to get open. And you make you make the safeties play back because exactly. they've got to stay honest. Yeah. Exactly. Robert Foster, I mean, he's a great pick. And if you didn't go him, I was going to go him because he he's he's got the, the physical talent and the ability to be a number one receiver. I'm not going to say he is a number one receiver, but when you look at the best receivers in the NFL, right? They're Andre Hopkins. Uh, Odell Beckham, Julio Jones. They're big, they're strong, and they can stretch the field. And Zay Jones is never going to be that guy. He's not a field stretcher, right? He's a, pro- probably going to wind up in the slot. He's, He's going to be guy. really successful He's, in the slot. He, it is best I envision him being my Heinz Ward. Yeah. A guy who's not going to be a burner, but he's going to catch a lot of footballs. Yeah. But the biggest thing that, th- that Robert Foster does for the Bills is it makes it less imperative that they take a wide receiver in the first probably two rounds of the draft. Yes, because you don't need that size or speed because you have it right. to a certain extent. Yeah. And you can your options are open at that point. Yep, I agree. Now, Chris, player or coach who most needs to play in traffic? Letting you live it was medical malpractice. <laughs> this award, in my opinion, can't go to anybody else but former special teams coach Danny Crossman. Fuck that guy. I, I, th- we lost games this year. For, because of field position. Yeah. Go back to the Jets' loss here. That was a great game. It came down to the wire. The the Allen versus Darnold, it lived up to the hype. Yeah, it was a great game. Both players, sh- one showing off his athleticism and his ability to navigate a, a dirty pocket and get out in space and make plays. The other one is showing off just sharp throwing. That, that absurd touchdown pass. Oh, yeah. Into coverage after scrambling for 40 yards of actual field. Yeah. And then just throws it. Yeah. <laughs> that game had everything. But the Jets come away with a close victory because we gave up an egregious amount of yardage in special teams. You can't have that. You cannot have that at the NFL level. And, but he's been getting away with being mediocre for so long. And this is the first time it's ever come back to bite him in the ass. I'm glad he's gone. Oh, I, I'm glad he, it's, it's only, it hasn't even been 24 hours yet. And I already feel better. Chris, anything, anything you want to add to this Danny Cross, uh, Danny Crossman conversation? Will you pay for his U-Haul? <laughs> I, did, right now, I will pay. If anybody <laughs> knows him, put me in touch with him. I will pay for the U-Haul to get all of your stuff. Your family, you, you box it up, you leave. I will. I'll even pack it for you. That's where I'm at. That's where I've been at. Chris, how many te- how many weeks ago did I say that? Uh. It's not how many weeks ago did you say it? It's how many weeks have you said it? <laughs> I've got one. What's that? Jordan sir? Mills. Ooh, that's a good one. Jordan Mills. As puzzling as it is that Danny Crossman has survived four coaching regimes, it is equally puzzling to me that Jordan Mills has survived now a third season in a Buffalo Bills uniform. Just how? Dude, wouldn't you give like 
I mean, I know because he got ejected. That's that's, like, a, that's the best thing he's done in a Bills uniform. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we said that. The, we said that in the stands on Sunday. I tweeted that out the minute it happened. I said, "Good for him for standing up for his quarterback." That's the single best thing he's done in a Bills uniform. <laughs> yeah. Like, Jordan why, Mills has been the bane of my existence since he came to Buffalo. Yeah. Why wouldn't you give McDermott a look? <laughs> Not the coach. I mean, Connor. why? Give the coach a look at this point, for Christ's sake, with as bad as Mills has been. You know, give Drew a set of pads and let him go out there and flail wildly at people and fall down in front of in front of a defensive lineman. Listen, guys, you could – Bills, if you really wanted to, you could have put me out there in football pads. And even though I, I probably would have done much worse, you only would have had to pay me a 30-pack and a pizza. Yeah, yeah I mean, listen, I can, I can fall down in the fetal position. Exactly. take more guys Come out than John Mills. Yeah, you do have abnormally long arms. So I do. That could work. So that brings us to the end of the individual awards. We're going to kick it off with least valuable player of the year. Boom! Chris, who are you bringing to the table? I mean, i got to go with what you're going to say. Okay. Ryan, what do you got? Least valuable player? Least valuable probably, player. Probably is the guy that you guys are going to say. No! Quarterback Vontae Davis! Oh, it's not the guy you're going to say. All right. I'm good then. All right, go ahead. Quarterback Vontae Davis. When you want to talk about somebody who literally gave you nothing. I mean, people talk about the least valuable player to their franchise every year, and they talk about, well, this guy, he showed up in some games, but he was kind of a liability in other places. This guy literally played one half of football. <laughs> you played one, and then you you packed it in. You put on a Hawaiian shirt and sunglasses and a hat and tried to sneak out of the city. Fuck you. I, oh, I've had it. This guy, and here's the reason why I'm so mad about this. I mean, granted, we did get to, to Levi Wallace, who finishes the year as one of the best rookie cornerbacks yep. in the league. Diamond in the rough. So we lucked out in the end. But the whole reason we didn't do more to address the second cornerback position was because we thought we had a guy. We thought we had this veteran with all kinds of experience. And instead, he just disappears. He disappears at halftime during a football game. Not only do you make us look like boobs league-wide... Which, I mean, we do a bad, we do a good enough job of that ourselves. Okay, Vontae, we don't need your help. But with that, now we're down a player. We have a hole in our roster that any competent NFL team has to have a number two cornerback. And we just don't have one. And it's literally halftime of week two. Thanks for nothing, Vontae. I'll see, me, you, and Bilicek will all have a nice mimosa in hell. Did you have? I was gonna say Charles Clay. <laughs> oh, that is a good one. I was gonna say Charles Clay. You pay the guy nine million dollars a year to do nothing. Yeah. All right. But, I mean, I, I wish, I wish I could give him the Eric Wood treatment and just push him down at one, like maybe trip him at one point in public and just be like, hey, why don't you give back some of that nine million dollars you didn't earn this year? <laughs> Jeez. Yeah, I mean, he's. he's you remember when he did awful. that to Aaron Maben? Yes, I do. Oh, that's one of the that, that made Eric Wood it's one of the mind. highlights of training camp. In yeah. my mind, I was like, that's it. Eric Wood's a dude. Yeah. He's my dude. I'm going to get behind that guy. <laughs> On a positive note, most valuable player to the team this season. Most valuable player. Um, I think it's difficult to not say Josh Allen, right? I mean, for me at least, it's difficult to not say Josh Allen just because this is the first time since... I can't remember that you've got hope at the quarterback position, right? I mean, 
You've got you had Tyrod Taylor, but even though Tyrod Taylor played pretty well his first season, he was still a six-year veteran, right? I mean, how long could you have Tyrod Taylor as a quarterback realistically? <laughs> you got Josh Allen, who's a rookie, a legitimate rookie, playing well, playing above where anyone thought he was going to play, solidifying the quarterback position for at least the next couple of seasons, and and emerging as a legitimate leader probably going into a uh, captain for next season, which I think is huge. I mean, you didn't think in 97 we had a future with Todd Collins? No. <laughs> you know what? I, mean, I was also 12, so, you know. I was going to fight you over this, Lace. I, I, I was going to throw bottle caps at you, and then I hear you talk, and I start to think about it. You know what? I'm inclined to agree. I'm inclined to agree that I think it, when I think back over this 2018 season and I think about games we won, who won us that game? It wasn't because LaShawn McCoy came out and had a dominant performance and won us a football game. It wasn't because our defense shut another team out like the Ravens did for Lamar Jackson against uh, the, the Chargers a couple weeks ago. It's been because Josh Allen found a way. Mm-hmm. Whether it was running the ball, whether it was throwing it, what, no matter what it was, he found a way to get us a win. Yeah. No, no running game? No problem, guys. 600 I mean, yards. He was propped up by a, a defense that, in a lot of cases, in some of these games, we talked about it earlier, have come back and just punched other teams in the mouth, and they haven't been able to recover. Right. But it's still on the offense to go out there and get you ahead so that your defense can protect that lead. And when I, when I think of most valuable, the, the, that's what the defense was supposed to be, right? Mm-hmm. So how, how impressed can you be with the defense? Albeit they, they've exceeded what I thought they'd be. I thought they'd be probably a top 10 defense for them to be top five, I think is, is tremendous, but you thought they were going to be good. Right. Well, and, and, and you know what? That's, that, that's a solid point to pivot off of because when I look at the team as a whole now, so now let's change gears here. We're going to look at the team as a whole. Biggest disappointment of the 2018 season. When you look at the team as a whole, what do you think, Ryan? What do you have? Um, I think ah, biggest disappointment. Biggest disappointment for me right now probably is the defensive line. And I only say that because I don't think Star has been what they paid him to be. I think the guys at Hashtag Sports will probably disagree with me on that, which is okay. <laughs> um, Jerry Hughes is clearly on the decline of his career, I think. Um, he's probably another candidate coming in the offseason of a trade or maybe a surprise cut coming after June 1. Um, Kyle obviously leaves. Um, Jordan Phillips, I thought, did a great job. I like him. I hope he's back next year. Harrison Phillips was fine. I think he was relatively unnoticed yeah. throughout most of the season. Shaq, I thought, played better than he did. Trent Murphy was okay, but you're paying him a lot of money to be better than okay, and he wasn't. Um, so probably defensive line, I think, and only because I thought they were going to be better. And I think the I think the 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 cor- the, the uh, linebackers as well as they played made the defensive line look a little bit better than it actually was. Chris, how about our run game? That sucked. Yeah, I, I hard would, all around. Offensive line, the running backs. If I have one that has to be the the regression of our running back production, we went from sixth in the NFL in yards, just rushing yards, to ninth, despite the fact that we got better rushing by our quarterback than Tyrod Taylor gave us the previous year, and we're still in the top six in attempts. So that means you tried to run the ball just as many times as you did last year. You just did worse at it, which no one – I mean, I I guess I shouldn't say no one saw coming because we did take a step back on the offensive line, as Chris touched on. But 
Then you look at it just in running back statistics. We went from 4.45 yards per carry as a group in 2017 to 3.5 per carry in 18. 145 fewer yards rushing, 136 fewer receiving yards, 5 fewer touchdowns. As a whole, your running back group that you were kind of banking on to be like, look, our rookie quarterback is going to be okay. If you're the head coach of this team and you say, well, listen, we were a top five rushing team last year. Why should I be worried about throwing my rookie quarterback into the fire? We've got a run game that's going to support him. And then it didn't. It just fell on its face and made the quarter. It really accentuated how bad we were at wide receiver and just Mm -hmm. how much growth was needed from the quarterback position. That's probably, if I had to say there was a big disappointment for this season, that's it for me. Yeah, and I think the only reason I didn't name the running game was because I I didn't think it would be as good as it was last year. Because you lose Incognito, you lose Wood, Dawkins is going into his second year, so it's possibly a a sophomore slump. Um, But yeah, I mean, when when your quarterback is your leading rusher, that's a problem. Exactly. For any team. Because you didn't think that he'd finish there. No. And yet he outrushed your nine, almost $9 million a year running back. The only, the only p- player that improved was Chris Ivory, and that's only because I compare him to Mike Tolbert. <laughs> and, and that's... Jesus. You know, yeah. He's like Mike Tolbert with dreadlocks. <laughs> which he, he, He's an athletic Mike. Well, Mike which Mike he got athletic. one of them ripped out of his skull during that yeah. Houston... That'll be one of the... Go- if I had to give an award for the goriest play of the season for me, was watching... Watching him get that dreadlock ripped out of his skull by Jadavian Clowney. I mean, first of all, Jadavian Clowney is a hulk of a human being. Yeah. He could probably pick Chris up, just palm his skull, and lift him off his feet. And then kind of like gra- how you palm that pepper earlier. Yes, it was the size of a baby's skull. <laughs> he he literally grabs this man by the hair. Now this is a guy who can probably pull a car behind him as he's jogging with his teeth. And he rips out. He grabs a hold of your hair. And you're running full speed. God, I can't even imagine what that feels that's like. A, that's a heady play by Clowney. So, biggest surprise. Obviously, we don't want to talk focus on negative things. Yeah. Biggest surprise of the season for me was the progression of the passing game. Because, mm-hmm. again, I didn't think Allen would round into any kind of a form. Weeks 1 through 8, 149 yards per game passing, 97 yards per game rushing, 11 points per game, and 18 turnovers. Weeks 9 through 17, 200 yards per game passing, 151 yards per game rushing, because Josh Allen finally realized, oh, shit, I can get out here and run. 23 points per game, 14 turnovers. Yes, that encompasses the Peterman, the Peterman experience that was the Chicago Bears game. And the Houston Texans game. Oh, Jesus. And that came after the and the, the, I think the starkest thing for me and why it's the biggest surprise is because that uptick in the second half of the season coincided with the release of the highest paid wide receivers on the roster. Yeah. On the roster. Yeah. That defies logic. Again, like I said earlier, you fire your wide receivers coach because there was guys who weren't seeing the field who probably should have been and it was you probably had something to do with that. Yeah. And the what you had to get, if you had to talk about something that surprised you the most this season about the Bills. Yeah, I think, and I, I, you know, I hate to go back, continue to go back to the well, but he's the quarterback, so Josh Allen. It, the thing that surprised me the most was at Wyoming, he was always clearly the most athletic player on the field. I mean, he was a man playing against boys in college. 
the fact that moving into the NFL, he was still in most of the games, probably the most athletic player on the field was impressive to me. I mean, the fact that he averaged 7.1 yards per carry is insane, especially when you talk about the running backs averaging three and a half yards <laughs> yeah. a carry. Josh Allen averaged 7.1. Interesting, and I, I saved it because I, you and I talked about it before the show. Nick Veronica, Buffalo News, I think he's still with, um, tweeted it out that for the, you need 100 rushing attempts to qualify for the NFL season leaderboard in, in yards per carry. Josh Allen ran 89 times. For eight hundred and thirty, sorry, six hundred thirty-one yards, which is seven point one yards per carry. Mm-hmm. If Allen ran eleven more times, which would qualify him for the hundred, he and averaged zero yards per carry, he would still have led the NFL in yards per carry with a six point three one clip. Now, to keep that in perspective, six point three one is impressive. Aaron Jones is the leader at the end of the season for yards per carry. He averaged five and a half. And that's a running back. That's a Your running. Your job back. is to run the ball. And everyone in the top ten is a running back. Aaron oh. Jones, Philip Lindsay, Kerryon Johnson. I mean, these are the names on this list: Melvin Gordon, Saquon Barkley, Christian McCaffrey. Allen was better than all of them. That just underscores what an athlete he is, and it underscores in the moment the that type he fig- of player he is. And so now the now the question is: Can you figure out? Because that's what that's what Tyrod was. Tyrod was an athlete playing quarterback. There's been a lot of guys throughout the years, an RG three. There's been a lot of athletes who have tried to play quarterback and ultimately couldn't get the job done. Your Jake Lockers, your Tim Tebow's. Can Allen take that next step? That's what next year is going to be about. It's going to be exciting to watch. Yeah. I, I can't believe those words are coming out of my mouth. Yeah, I can't believe I'm excited about the quarterback position. I can't remember the last time it's happened. We end this with the best and the worst play. I'm going to give them both to you. First of all, Chris, you're going to hit me with the audio. The worst play of the 2018 season goes to the Nathan Peterman pick six in Houston. Peterman picked off! Joseph! And he will go! Touchdown! Andrew Catalan, CBS Sports. Folks, I blew a blood vessel in my face screaming in our post-game periscope about that play. An hour after the game was over, my wife looks at me and she goes, either you're having a heart attack or you blew a blood vessel in your face. Do you need to go to the hospital? Because my, I just read. I, I couldn't, uh, my eyes were bloodshot. She's like, what's wrong with you? I, I don't know. I remember, Rage. I remember Rage. That, That's what's wrong with me. I remember that vividly because as soon as he came in, it was, oh man. And I was watching at my sister-in-law's house. And as soon as he threw the pass, I saw Joseph break on it. I just turned around and walked away. Before Joseph even caught it, I had my back to the TV. Because it was just like, it, it's a, it was a Hollywood script. Of, of oh. what happened in that situation. It's just, it was the most heart gut-wrenching play of the entire season. It reminds me, similar to Kyle, right? Retiring, you knew it was coming, but it still hurts. Same thing. <laughs> Best play of the season, I gotta give the award to the Josh Allen touchdown pass against the Jacksonville Jaguars. Allen on first and ten, under heavy pressure, and throws, has his man, it's Foster, and he's into the end zone for the touchdown! Spiroditas. CBS Sports. <laughs> Man, folks, that play was just unbelievable to me because it was, it was, it, that game represented not only his first game back off of injury, but it really did mark kind of a turning point in his season. And for me to see that, long, again, a guy I just talked about as being one of the new faces that really gave me hope, Robert Foster, Josh Allen, connecting on, not only a phenomenal run after the catch, which he did good to avoid contact. 
get to the boundary and just push it upfield. But Allen's decision to stand there, coming off of an injury, he could have been gun-shy. I mean, we talk about now Tom Brady being gun-shy because of possible injuries. You've got a quarterback who just came off an injury, and he still stands there in the face of overwhelming pressure and says, I think I can make this fucking throw. I'm going to do it. Fuck you guys. That, to me, I, I, I missed the play live, and then rewatching the game at home. I, it's 10 o'clock at night. My wife is sleeping next to me on the couch, and I'm fist pumping, and I'm kicking the coffee table. Fuck yeah. Let's go. Woo. She's like, you're not at the stadium. Stop it. Stop yeah. doing this here. You're I think, I mean, I think that, I marked that, even though it was his first game back, I marked that as kind of the turning point for Allen because going into that game, I remember doing my show with Icy Vic and one of the things that we talked about was what are you looking for in Allen in his return? And I said, I don't care what his stat line looks like. I want him confident and poised in the pocket because he's coming off of an injury that was a direct result of pressure in his face. And that is enough to make a kid gun shy. And it's against a very good Jacksonville front defensive front. Um, And he stood in there and he was confident. He was poised. He knew he could make the throw and he took his shot and he took the hit and that to me was, okay, now let's see what this kid has for the rest of the season because he's clearly not going to be affected by the fact that he was injured earlier in the year. Well, and that was it. I feel like he came out, and that was the moment the switch flipped. Yeah. And he's, he just After that, he showed no fear. Okay, I can do this. There was no yeah. fear in that kid anymore. There was yeah. no – you didn't see the tentativeness that you saw in the Green Bay game. No. And that, far and away, made that – the the best play of the year for me because that was the moment you looked at it and said, this guy is built for this. Yeah. Some guys crumble mentally. I think you talk about a oh my god I'm gonna Edwards, Trent yeah. Edwards. Yeah. Trent Edwards, Edwards got rocked. Okay. Against Arizona. And when he fought, when his concussion symptoms you know when he was done and he was cleared and he was able to come back, he was never the same player. He was from that point because forward. He was, he was captain checkdown because he was afraid. Yep, there was there was a fear in this guy. He was afraid of ever getting hit like that again, and he was never going to stand in the pocket that long. This is a guy who took a shot, literally I mean, elbow injury like that, where you can't grip anything. That's tough, especially when your job is to throw a football. Yeah. Yet it happens again. He gets rolled out there, and he has no fear. Yeah. None. He just stares down the barrel and says, I'm going to make this play. That's what you need from your quarterback. And that's what that play made me feel in that moment. It stood out to me over everything else that happened this season. It makes it just sends me into the offseason with hope, which is all you can ask for. And I guess that's it. If you can wrap up, Ryan, if you had 30 seconds to wrap up this entire season and what you thought it meant, what would you say? Uh, I think this season for Bills fans uh, could be marked in the next three to five years as the turning point season. You've got a quarterback of your offense. You've got a quarterback of your defense. You've got uh, a clear path forward. And that's some of the things, one of the things I struggled with most of the season. If you watch my show, um, I talked about the process and I don't have an issue with losing as long as I can see where you're going. And I couldn't see it for a long time. And I had a big problem with that. Um, I frankly, I called for McDermott's job a couple times early in the season because I didn't think that they knew what they were doing. The last five games, I think it became pretty clear what they thought they were doing. They were going to get a look at the young kids. Robert Foster emerged. Isaiah McKenzie emerged. Zay Jones finally got to move into the slot. He became effective. 
You've got a couple of spots to fix on the offense. You've got two spots to fix on the defense. And you've got a very good team, young for a long time, and coming into the season as the third oldest team in the league, leaving with a, a, a rookie quarterback, a rookie middle linebacker, a you know a, a legitimate lockdown corner in his second season going into his third. Um, this team, if the process continues the route that it's going and they continue to see their vision forward and they can actually attract free agents at a reasonable salary, which you're at Buffalo, you're always going to have to overpay. But if they don't kill themselves cap-wise, I think this is a team that in the next couple seasons when Tom Brady starts to finally retires, declines, this is a team that probably is going to be the favorite in the AFC East for a long time, and I think Bills fans have every reason to be encouraged. And again, for those who watch my show, you know I'm typically not the glass-half-full guy. So no. to say that, I, you know, I, I, I truly think that Josh Allen is the real deal. And if he makes the progression I think he'll make next season, he's going to show everybody he's the real deal. Tremaine Edmonds certainly is the real deal. And you get a couple pieces, and this team's not, not far off. See, now, folks, these are, this is meaningful coming from a guy like Ryan, who I talk to all the time about football. And I look at him the way I look at if you ever If you Google demotivational posters, glass <laughs> half full, and it, they'll bring up an image with three glasses, and they're full of a yellowish liquid. And it just says, one, one saying this glass is half full, one saying glass is half empty, and the third one is yelling, this is piss! <laughs> Ryan is the third glass. That's who he usually is. So to hear optimism from him is refreshing, and I like that. Chris, what did the 2018 season mean to you? Uh, well, I'll, you said 30 seconds. I went uh, a little longer. Way longer, Jesus. Uh, it's simple. Look, look at the producer I, to give your to break saying, your Don't balls. forget, I usually have Gary doing this. Trust yeah, the producer like to break your balls. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's uh, the progression of Josh Allen. We're going into off season. It's going to be Brian Daybold is our OC. Josh Allen is not doing draft prep. He is exclusively working with that playbook in the off season. And I, I've said it during the season. And if you want to put a Seagrams on it, you know. I will gladly accept it. We got a third-place schedule. We have all of our draft capital for 2019. A ton of money to spend in free agency. We're going to the playoffs next year. I will put a Seagram's on that. We're going to the playoffs. So you got us going to the playoffs. You don't have us going to the playoffs. I'm telling we're going to the playoffs. No, but here's – I'll, I'll, so bet, against, I'll him. bet against him just for the sake of okay. betting against right. him. I'm Fair hedging enough. my bets and on I'll put, all I'm fronts. putting this bet on in January. <laughs> Here's, I don't even know who we're getting in free agency or the draft, and I already believe we're going to be in the look, playoffs. Chris, Chris has one year of season tickets being in that stadium every Sunday. He's already fired up. He's got the fever the way I got it. I love it. Folks, to me, this is what the 2018 season was. I, you look at our beer watch board. Chris loves to talk about it. I just like to talk about week 17 where I beat you. Board, yeah, but we're low. We're on the low end of things. In it's fact, declining we, we're, we're almost finishing... Because when I came into this season, I said, I know what this is. This is, we are coming in with, we're coming into this season with a flat tire. I know that's what it is. We're a car with a flat tire already. This can't end well. And it, and it won't. And it shouldn't. And the team, for, even though by ranting and raving, this team was kind of who I thought they were going to be. And yet they keep finding ways to surprise me. Whenever I get down, as a Bills fan, this team finds a way to pull me back in. Leave 
Leave cornerback Levi Wallace, second highest rated rookie, <laughs> over Trey White. They both make the top five for uh, cornerback ratings in the NFL this season. Yeah. We found this guy on the scrap heap. Robert Foster comes in, reinvigorates the offense, just when you think that we are on the verge of fielding the worst passing offense in the Super Bowl era. And it doesn't happen. They find a way to pull themselves back. I think that this season was kind of a testament to what this staff can be and what these players can be under a coach like a guy like Sean McDermott, who just quietly, he's not, he's not a Rex Ryan guy. Think about when we started doing this podcast, Rex Ryan was our coach, and he was brash, and he was out there in the media, and he was telling everybody, get ready, we're going to the playoffs. And it, no, wasn't, no. And it wasn't the guy who talked about it that did it. The guy that took us there was the guy who just every week said, well, we're going to keep working. And I'm not worried about, I'm not worried about what I think we're going to do because I know the work hasn't been done yet. It's that guy, the humble guy, who got us there. And it's the humble guy who saw us through this season. I think, if anything, this season has made me more, for all the things that I have come around on, the Josh Allen, the... You know, the Josh Allen pick, the Dable signing, you know, the <laughs> Matt Milano. Matt Milano. These these players that I was down on, these concepts that I was a, not a fan of. This coach. This coach to me, there's nothing the thing that is forever seared in my memory is Sean McDermott with blood on his hoodie, standing there after that Jacksonville game saying, Look, my team is gonna fight. Every week they're gonna fight. And I don't expect them to take shit from anybody. You give a guy like that, who speaks very plainly, who's very comp- it's quiet confidence. You give him some talent, and you send him out there, you don't hear anything like you hear from the other teams in our division. Problems in the, within the team, problems in the locker room, it doesn't happen. Because that's not how he runs the ship. Yeah, he's a leader of men. This season could have come off the rails and imploded Quick. much like it did for Todd Bowles. Much like it did for Hugh Jackson. When you're fielding subpar teams, there's a lot of... For Stephen Wilkes down there in Arizona. Mike Tomlin. They started 7-2-1. And then they missed the playoffs. My point is, it could have ended differently. And yet we get to end this on a high note because of the guy who's driving the car. I appreciate the hell out of Sean McDermott so much more than I did at the end of last season. Now, not just because he's the guy who broke the drought... But he's the guy who kept us from fielding what looked like early on the worst team the NFL had ever seen. Mm-hmm. That's my takeaway from this, is that I have, a, a, I guess it's bolstered my faith in this staff and in this front office to go out there and procure talent. And I think we are heading into the most exciting offseason that the Bills team has seen in probably the last Five, six, seven years. I think probably since the Mario Williams offseason, right? I mean, you think about the money we have to spend. Even Ryan, the Ryan hiring was considered exciting, but he was hamstrung by not a lot of salary cap room to play with. This is the first time we're going to have the ability to really remake this roster draft-wise and free agency. And in, the, in the image of an established yes. coaching staff and an established front office. And for the first time, I tr- I feel a certain level of trust with the guys who are at the front of it. And to me, that's, I don't know, that's going to help me sleep at night. Yeah. 
Ryan, if you had to look at that board over there, all the black numbers, yeah. what do you think that totals up to? A couple hundred. On your side, yeah. Do you have Do you have a number? I go. Uh, I'm gonna go 287. Drew, do you have a number of what all those? The beers for the final beer watch board, folks. Yes, we're going through beer watch right I'm now. I'm gonna say 277. Drew, you're a little bit closer. Eric Harris is gonna let us know about this. Oh, we no. finished this year. 267 beers. Oh, wow. Our lowest total. Of since the, we started Since podcast. we started. <laughs> now, there should be a caveat in 2016. Remember, I went to Cincinnati for work for a week, so we didn't even drink for a week. Oh, you didn't. I did. That's no, so you dumb. don't. No, you didn't. Eat. I asked you on that show. And you're... At all. You so we you, end with 267. You didn't even have any, you didn't have any people guess in that yeah. range. No, we you have got 225. And, uh, folks, because I knew what this season was going to be. Yeah, Wingfield said 227. I'm an emotional drinker, folks, and luckily this season didn't push me to the brink. Now, we're going to see if in this offseason the Buffalo Bills can do it again because God help me if they push us back into the 360 beer <laughs> range because we know I'm doing the heavy lifting. Ryan, thank you so much for joining us Appreciate tonight. It. Where can folks find the show? And tell us just a little bit about what you guys have planned for the off season. Yeah, so we always we always like to do some off season stuff. You know, obviously, Drew, you, you come out and do some stuff. Oh yeah, especially Chris, for Chris, the mock draft. Yeah, Chris stands off to the side and, and yeah. watches and, and hangs out with Gary, who does the producing for us. So, um, you know, we always have a, a season wrap up show, Thirty Four Rush. Uh, our draft show is going into its fourth season. I think this year will be our fourth season doing the draft show. I won't be in Jamaica this time. Yeah, so you're actually going to come, and we're not going to have the. You guys are lucky Make that sure. I wasn't there for the yeah. Josh Allen pick because. I would have been shirtless with a beer in his I will hand. say that because if you go back and watch that, it was bad enough of all of us that were on there just <laughs> sitting gaped, gaped mouths, staring at our screens when, when the pick came through. So, yeah, so we do the, the draft show. We did a mock draft last year, which which we enjoyed. Drew's going to um, be on that this year, right? going to do a couple, Please. couple again. Please. Mocks. <laughs> Drew, you love mocks. I hate mock drafts. Mock drafts are the most pointless things. People who, people who live and die by them or take them seriously should be rounded up. Rounded up and branded. Yeah, and I think that that's that's why we like when we do ours because we kind of had a lot of fun with it. We had a ton of trades. Um, I did, you know, we did it with uh, Kevin Masari from the Lockdown Bills and Spencer German, and you know, so we, the big off season for us, we like to collaborate with a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Hashtag sports and you guys, and you know, that that's kind of my big goal. Um, you can find us at, at Rock Sports Network on Facebook, uh, at Rock Sports Net on Twitter, uh, at I'm at Ryan Lasel underscore RSN. On Twitter, uh, I, I don't Instagram, so I'm not going to give you my Instagram Thank handle. God. Yeah, and I don't really Facebook, so you can friend me if you want, but I probably won't reply to you on Facebook. <laughs> um, but yeah, so, so Twitter is kind of the primary place you can, you can find me, and um, a lot of good things coming from, from Rock Sports Network. We're always looking forward to collaborate with uh, some of the best in the business that don't get the exposure that I think a lot of these guys should get. So especially Drew and Chris here doing great things at the Rock Power Report. We certainly appreciate the partnership, and Anything we can do to help, you know, bring you guys to the forefront, we'll certainly do it. And, and as bad as it is, I put you on TV, Drew. That's, that's, how, that's how good of a job he, I think you do is I put puts, you on TV. They put this face. <laughs> I have the face for radio, folks, and I get on TV because of him. Guys, thank you so much for joining us. It's been a great – it's been a season. I shouldn't say it's been a great season, but it has been a season. Yeah, and it's been one to remember. Chris looks like he's dying to say something. Next week, we'll have a new show intro. Oh, boy. <laughs> You're going to have to tune in for it, folks. I am Drew Gear. That's Ryan Lasel. That's Chris Krueger. And thank you for joining us in the 2018 season for the Rock Pile Report podcast. Have a good night, everybody.
When you make decisions for your company, you always look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing and shipping to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your process to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, books, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart if you sell online, schedule package pickups through the dashboard, and automatically see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers, with rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are, even on the go. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other business decision makers with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage, and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.